0: Yes, books are dangerous. They should be dangerous. They contain ideas. Pete Hotman.
1: Whoa, that is a good quote, Pete. That was Kayla. I'm Randy. Welcome back to our Bookcast. We're two bitches reading books. I shook us. That Pete has some strong language. My Lanta. You can just find that on the Google machine. Just out there in the world. I know for people to know. Got to ban that. Got to ban it. Gotta ban yeah. it. He's he's probably got something people need to ban. Probably. <laughs> oh, man. Before we get into our banned books, um, I don't know if I texted you this earlier this week. Either way, it's newsworthy, and people should know that we're in 58 states now. Oh, awesome. We only have two holdouts left. 58? Brandy, there's only 50. <laughs> Fucking hell. I'm at 48. I'm looking at the line here, and it says 50, but I have to minus two lines. DC is in here, so... I got oh. the 50 and the eight, whatever. It's, it's 48 states.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Go
1: us. I know. I'm excited. Who are the holdouts? I don't know. I don't have that map in front of me right now. Uh, probably oh, it's North state... Dakota. Oh, yeah. And they Delaware.
0: Pro- yeah. They're... Well, we can't say anything bad about Delaware. That's where our great president Joe Biden's from, but North Dakota, they're, they probably can't listen to this podcast. It's probably banned.
1: <laughs> Two bitches reading books banned i mean i've never personally been to north dakota does it exist Mm. i mean i've been to montana i've been to wyoming i've been to idaho i have been to those otherwise fantastical lands some people don't believe in them but like north dakota who's been who's been there and come back i I don't think it exists there's no possible way Hmm. well i guess somebody's going to have to listen from there and let us know that they do exist maybe yes. maybe they'll hear us telepathically you know we're all connected star stuff the human <laughs> consciousness whatever I've been watching a lot of UFO documentaries Dr. Greer I just feel like have you watched any of Dr. Greer's documentaries on Amazon no man he's a doctor but he's also a hippie and that might be my favorite new genre of man okay it used to be like the fe- the male feminist, but I there's something to be said for doctors who are also hippies
0: I mean, he might also be a male feminist. He,
1: he might also be. I have not delved into that, and they didn't talk about it because there's a lot of shit to cover in the whole, you know, UFO alien realm. So maybe he is. He probably is. He probably is. So I guess I'm just in my same genre, probably. We'll f- maybe we'll find out. Maybe yeah. I'll update you at a later date.
0: Okay, sounds good.
1: So I still have my cough. It's all right. You sound a lot better.
0: I do. I do. I feel a lot better. But this cough is not going to go away until I probably push this baby out. Or get it ripped out from my insides because that's what's actually gonna happen so
1: <laughs> <laughs> honestly if I have a baby I would prefer them to rip it out than to actually labor it I yeah. don't know if you go through a surgery the doctors and the nurses also like treat you like you had a surgery afterwards I feel like if yes. you just push it out the natural way they're like good job lady let's take care of this baby yeah Uh, oh you're still here we're gonna charge you but uh get your own fucking shit from the lunchroom will ya (laughs) exactly and when you get a c-section the drugs the 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 drugs drugs. right before and and after and like let somebody say some shit about your baby body because like you had an operation you cannot go to the gym literally cannot nope period (laughs) anyway I I think that's probably better than having a baby the american way
0: i think so too <laughs> plus your vagina right no wear and tear on the rig no <laughs> don't have to have a rejuvenation surgery or whatever
1: you don't need the husband stitch which is something i can't stop seeing on tiktok <laughs> and it disgusts me to my core <laughs> that's so funny oh so this week we did something a little different we each read our own book and we haven't really talked about them much And we're going to kind of get, like, I wrote an entire fucking book report. I am ready with points and takeaways and quotes. I'm ready to go. Okay, go. You first. Okay, sweet. Well, when we first talked about this, we talked about, like, giving an intro to, like, the author. So I'm just on Wikipedia right now talking about George Orwell, which is not even his name. That's his pen name. His actual name is something totally different entirely eric arthur blair wow and he's just like he looks like a regular dude he looks like he's got brown hair brown eyes big ass forehead but he does have all of his hair as of 1943 which is pretty close to when he died he only lived for 46 years he died he died the year after this book that i'm reading i read came out so like oh, i bet he was killed i bet the government killed him right The I Clintons. Didn't, wikipedia doesn't have a section on his death and i didn't oh final months and death what happened to him he got tuberculosis wow is that what he died from because he got tuberculosis three years before he died and he even had time to get married it seems like he was sick even when he got married and he must have gotten married just because he was sick because he died in the hospital bed so tuberculosis or comp- Complications from tuberculosis okay. is what killed him at 46. But while he was alive, he was like a writer, as we know, and pretty obviously we could have guessed that he was a staunch socialist and a opposer of totalitarianism. That and- is so funny
0: because a major Trump supporter would be quoting this book nonstop during like um Jared it Pol- Like, what's Jared Polis one? He was like oh 1984 and like the guy was a trumper
1: shut up yeah (laughs) I did not know that okay maybe I did know that because I was like I feel like this book has been a topic recently like I've heard it so maybe maybe I must have read that and just like forgotten it because you know I'm in a cloud all day every day and it's made of THC yeah (laughs) so yeah that that makes me laugh but also like a huge concept of the entire book is this like double thank concept where if you have a clear moment of rational thought or you're like questioning something that doesn't make sense like you think of something that it's just self-imposed cognitive cognitive dissonance basically so I'm not surprised that a Republican would read this and be like, that's what the Democrats are doing. No, motherfucker, we're socialists. Actually, another theme of this book is that the party, that's what they're called. There's only one party, so it's just called the party or Big Brother. You start the book and from literally the first page, there are signs everywhere saying Big Brother is watching you and the party slogan, which I am going to read to you right now from the book. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. I don't know if you're hearing all of this and hearing things like that are very counterintuitive from each other. War is peace. The entire party plan is to make you so dumb that you never question anything and everything, just assume everything they say makes sense. So when they say war is peace, you're like, yes, war is peace. Whatever. I assume. (laughs) Like everything is opposite. Like their jail system, the people who do law and order, it's called the ministry of love. And you're going to hear some shit that happens in the Ministry of Love, and you're going to be like, this is not loving. But we'll we'll talk about that later. So the main character is this dude named Winston. He's 39. And you basically understand from, like, page one that he's at least a little anti-government, or at least he doesn't think the government has any good. He doesn't think it is any good. And he's quietly questioning in his own head, like, the shit that they tell him. And he lives in, like, this post-apocalyptic society in 1984, obviously. He lives in London, and that's, like, where old London used to be. But the world's completely different now because they have been continuously at war since 1950. For, like, 35 years, the entire world has been continuous, continuously at war. So it's been redivided into three sections. And he lives in a country called Oceania or Oceania. I don't know how it would be pronounced. But anyway... It still has some of the old cities, like London, the names just never wore off. But other places that weren't, like, huge hubs of people now are just called, like, Airstrip 94. Because it's just a Mad Max war place, I guess, on the whole fucking globe. Everyone has this thing. Well, not everyone, but everybody in the inner party or the outer party, which makes up, like, 15% of the population. The rest of the population is, like, the lower class, a.k.a. the proles. So everyone who's in the inner party or outer party has a telescreen in their house, and it's also in their workplace, like, in the office, in the break room, like, everywhere. And it basically looks like a giant mirror, and... Like, like a full length body mirror is what I'm picturing in my head. And the party can project whatever they want onto it, just like it was a TV. Like any sounds, any visuals, any messages they want to come out of it. But at the same time, they're also listening to every single thing that is said within like hearing range of this telescreen. And they're watching everything that they can see from their, like it's also like recording you. It's not recording you, but like you're being caught on camera. Holy shit.
0: That kind of sounds like Hunger Games in
1: a way. Yeah. Like any any post-apocalyptic society where it's like they're controlling masses and masses of people by keeping them down and in inhumane conditions. Yeah. So this telescreen thing, you have no control over it. You can never turn it off. And the only time it stops watching you is if you're sleeping. And if you're like, talking in your sleep it's gonna turn tune in like you need to be laying down in your bed at the hours that they say are normal for sleeping which is like after 11 30 and before whatever time they have to wake up and not making sound if you talk in your sleep you can get in trouble for it and they like go so far as to like make you do like forced group workouts like everybody has to get up at the same time on the same day and do workouts in front of this screen while there's like a projected like I'm assuming some aerobics with somebody in like an 80s outfit, but something like that. And it's just, I told you the war has been continuous since the 1950s, 20 or 30 bombs fall in London every single week. And it's so normal that at one point in the book and like near the beginning, Winston's just walking a bomb explodes or a rocket or something explodes. And somebody kills, somebody is killed right in front of him. And Winston literally kicks the severed head out of his way and just keeps on walking. Like, That's fucking crazy. I couldn't even imagine. Being an individual is the absolute worst fucking thing you could possibly do in the party's eyes. Because if you're an individual, you're probably also questioning things and questioning things is like, you know, that's a crime. That's called a thought crime. You know, having a thought crime, questioning something the party says could lead to you being unpersoned, which we'll talk about more. But to the effect that they're getting rid of individualism, you have to call everyone comrade. There's, like, no sir or ma'am or no distinction. If you walked up to somebody at work, you wouldn't be like, hi, Zachary. You'd be like, hello, comrade. You wouldn't shake his hand or anything. That that would just be it. It's, it's fucking weird. I was also thinking this might be because they're communists. Um, oh. But also they claim to be socialists. Like, they they act like communists in the way that, like, citizens are not allowed to have any personal property like they have to wear uniforms not not the proles like the big population but the ones that they're trying to control um which is 15% of the population and Winston's part of that population they have to wear like blue overalls everywhere that they go like they act like communists okay so wait the party are socialists
0: is that what he says in the book maybe that's why the Trumper thought the book was about socialism
1: yes and like what life would be like as a socialist yes it it very well could be um we'll talk about this more later but the party actually did the thing that the nazis did which is say they were socialists and then do a bunch of communist shit so in effect they are communists but for a while they called themselves socialists okay
0: and if you're listening to this and you're confused about like The different variations of like the Nazi party, this what socialism is, what communism is, we actually break it down for
1: you in a previous podcast episode of mouse
0: scroll on back and find it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Listen to the whole mouse series because like the Holocaust in 1984. um, I'm drawing some straight lines. Yeah, We're on some straight lines from some shit that happened here. To the effect that they're living in a communist society and they can't even own personal property. They live in like these very small apartments and they can't even fix the shit in their apartment. Like they're not allowed to. They're supposed to, if something goes wrong, like a leak happens or they need a plumber or something. They're supposed to put in a work order through the government. And it could take like four years for your clogged toilet to get fixed because that's how the government works when it is operating social programs like that. And there's no, like, incentive for them to actually do anything, i.e., like, voters. Nice. Another fucking terrible thing that you're going to love is we learn very early in the book that the party rewrites history, literally. It's actually part of Winston's job. So, for example, one year they claim to have invented airplanes. So they rewrite all of the textbooks to say that. They reprint them with the original dates and then burn the ones that claim otherwise. And that way they control history. Oh my gosh. Isn't that fucking crazy? That's like literally Winston's job. He just gets notes saying this fact no longer lines up with what this person said today. And he goes in and rewrites all of the news articles that might have said that fact and then reprints them all. Oh my gosh. Um, They say, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past, ran the party slogan, controls the future. And who controls the present controls the past.
0: Holy shit.
1: Right? So making
0: this book sound probably more interesting than it is.
1: Oh my, I freaking loved this book. And I don't know if you know this, but I downloaded it on ebook as well. So Matt and I could reel along with it. And we were trying to do it so we could read a little bit every single night. And every single night, Matt's like, just 10 more pages, just 10 more pages. But Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I had to like, hold him back. It's, it's really interesting. And I feel like I'm leaving a lot of details out. Like his life is so miserable. Like it's, uh, uh, oh my gosh. So you might have to read this i actually have a point in my notes to like stop so i don't spoil the ending for you unless you really want me to in case you want to go back and read it yourself but anyways this this whole thing where they control history uh the party calls it reality control to control reality winston for example a more in-depth example um he'll get a note telling him to fix something like this like the times of the 19th of December had published the official forecasts of the output of various classes of consumption goods in the fourth quarter of 1983, which was also the sixth quarter of the ninth three-year plan. Today's issue contained a statement of the actual output from which it appeared that the forecasts were in every instance grossly wrong, i.e., they put out some forecasts, they were incorrect, which is literally, true of every single forecast predictions are never accurate if you take a statistics class it's going to tell you that most predictions can get pretty close but there's always going to be some sort of outlier or some sort of like percentage of which it's not going to get accurate so they're saying here that they put out some statistics they were wrong and winston's job was to rectify the original figures by making them agree with the later ones he would make it so that the party him and his entire department of course not just him this is a gigantic undertaking there's only like three real jobs that you can have. Mm -hmm. And it's in like his department, the one that handles law and order. I have another quote about this here. Day by day and almost minute by minute, the past was brought up to date. In this way, every prediction made by the party could be shown by documentary evidence to have been correct. Nor was any item of news or any expression of opinion which conflicted with the needs of the movement ever allowed to remain on record. So the party is literally controlling the past, like I mentioned before, are making it so that they're always right. They're literally never wrong. And to even consider that they would be wrong is a thought crime and you can be unpersoned.
0: Oh my gosh. Is unpersoned killed?
1: It's it's not just killed. It's where they erase you from history. They Oh. Yeah, and we'll talk about, we'll get more into detail on that. It's a whole thing, but... They make it so that if somebody even says your name after you're unpersoned, they get unpersoned. It's a thought crime to even think about you. Mm. So it's, it's, t- and that's like, people's biggest fear isn't it like everyone strives to make sure that someone remembers them like once you get older like you realize like that's a lot of people's greatest like achievement or greatest disappointment that nobody's going to remember them that's why you have kids that's why you write books that's why you do things so they are taking away that one thing that you can make sure you have after you die like the only thing in your control it's very scary so they in this new world have like a whole new language it's called newspeak and the whole purpose of it is to literally get rid of words and like make everything have a contradictory meaning which is like the whole thing like they want your brain to just be a jumble of contradictions so whatever is said to you feels like fact and you don't have an ounce of questioning in you he says don't you see that the whole aim of newspeak is to narrow the range of thought In the end, we shall make thought crime literally impossible because there will be no words in which to express it. Every concept that one could ever need express will be expressed by exactly one word with its meaning rigidly defined and all its subsidiary meanings rubbed out and forgotten. It's crazy. So also in... Chapter 1 um, I mean I'm kind of jumping around in my explanation here but this is important we learn about the two minute hate and this is something they do every single day every single member of the upper party and the or the inner party and the outer party in their offices at the ministries they have to gather around in groups by the telescreen while they just broadcast like awful noises and scary news and like they're just raging about this guy Emmanuel Goldstein who is like the enemy of big brother and it gets everybody like riled up into this crazy frenzy it lasts for two minutes and by like the 90 second mark people are like screaming and like raging and like screaming to like kill all of the mongolians are the enemies in this they're just raging like two minutes worth of news puts them in this frenzy and in my mind it's tucker tucker carlson just being blasted into your ear pods in the middle of your podcast no matter what you're doing like i can see how this could work getting people in a frenzy and keeping them there all the time You know, it's crazy. Most of the population is so thoroughly brainwashed that the kids will turn people into the thought police just for wearing shoes that they haven't seen before. And the thought police will vaporize people just in case they might commit a thought crime or they have, like, any thoughts against the party. Except for right? And it's like so bad that you're walking around trying to keep your face like neutral at all times. Like you don't react to any sound that goes on around you. Like you don't make eye contact with anyone. You just, you have to wake up and brush your teeth and do your workout, go to work, go home. Like you have to go to the community center every single night and be a part of like community activities or you're being weird and suspicious. It's like your whole life is controlled top to bottom because you can't think for yourself or it's bad for the party. So, they don't really control the proles though. Except for the proles, everyone from a young age is taught that sex is disgusting. Like a part of their um brainwashing or um forced compliance to this weird fucking culture is like purity, chastity. It says sexual intercourse was to be looked on as slightly disgusting, a minor operation like having an enema. Winston's married for a bit and he's talking about how his wife forced him to have sex with her every week because it was their duty to the party. So fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another way to control and repress the society, obviously. I've got another good quote about it. There was a direct, intimate connection between chastity and political orthodoxy. For how could the fear, the hatred, and the lunatic credulity which the party needed in its members, be kept at the right pitch, except by bottling down some powerful instinct and using it as a driving force. The sex impulse was dangerous to the party and the party had it turned out to account. It's fucking weird, right? Yeah. So they are like, they have like chastity parties and chastity belts for like adults who are parts of the inner and outer party, but they don't control the proles in this way. Um, they actually have a division in one of the ministries called porno sec, where they make porn specifically for proles. Um, and I think this is another way to control them because they're giving them something like a little bit of something that makes their life a little bit better. So they don't think for one second to ever like rebel, but I'm bringing up the porno sec because they have a funny quote in here about how they um, have all women, except for, of course, the manager of the department. It's all women in porno sec. And it says, the theory was that men whose sex instincts were less controllable than those of women were in greater danger of being corrupted by filth if they handled it. (laughs) Less controllable. (laughs) The entire government is like, we're not going to teach boys self-control, so we'll just call them uncontrollable hilarious fucking hilarious but i've mentioned a couple times the polls are basically like the lower class although they make up 85 percent of the population and they don't have telescreens so they aren't watched by the party like um, people in the inner and inner and outer party are that's very interesting and it's literally because The party genuinely thinks that they're so overworked. No, the party genuinely knows that they're so overworked and so overtired with their regular day-to-day life, just going to work and feeding themselves, has them too tired to even think to ever try to change their stars and move up in society. And I think that that's exactly why minimum wage has been stagnant for years and years and years. Mm, Probably. So I've already mentioned that Winston would be considered of the outer party and then the most well-treated people are part of the inner party and they aren't much different though because like i've mentioned it's like communism so it's not like the inner party makes more money they just have like a slightly nicer house and they get wine instead of gin it's like they really suppress everyone in the society to control them and make them do crazy fucking shit like showing any any desire is considered suspicious to the party any kind of individualism like if you wanted to go alone like on a walk instead of going to the community center for a night that they make you i told you before they make you go to the community sever- center every single night if you decided to go on a stroll by yourself that night and said you're getting reported by someone it's fucking crazy like even keeping a diary it could be punishable by death because what fucking thought could you possibly have that could be secret why would you have secret thoughts uh but well, Winston ends up buying a little diary from the shop he finds down in, like, the prole part of town. He makes friends with the shop owner, Mr. Charrington. He ends up going into his apartment and hiding in this, like, little closet where his tele screen can't see and, like, writing in his diary. Damn, Winston. I know. It, it was, it started, we're in the middle of the book by now, and it started with him just thinking, hmm, I kind of remember airplanes, but now they say airplanes aren't weird. Real. Weird. And now he's like going down to a part of town he if he gets caught in this part of town he could be just unpersoned just for like not being in his sanctioned part of town and they have patrols going around in these areas like he has to take a different path to the shop every time he visits and visit he does but before we get there I thought it was interesting at this point in the book to note that songs are written by machines like people don't write songs anymore and that just makes me laugh because we some people do write songs with AI these days and they're always funny I don't know if you've seen that on TikTok or anything.
0: No, I haven't. People I like. I didn't even
1: know that was a thing. I
0: heard about the AI rapper, but that was about it.
1: Yeah. Same general idea. They just make the AI like consume a bunch of a specific type of content and then tell them to make a song about it. Oh, it's funny. So another thing the party does to like keep the proles kind of happy, but also like not actually help them with anything similar to the porn is they run a lottery and it's a lot like what the lottery would be like nowadays, but when they announce winners, it's never real people. Oh, so the proles can spend up their hard-earned money on lottery tickets for the government, but nothing's ever going to come from it except for maybe a small smidge of hope that keeps them going for a little while longer. So Man, he, it sounds it sounds so, so relatable. Doesn't it sound like this shit could happen literally tomorrow? Yeah. It's crazy. So pretty early in the book, Winston goes back to the shop, and he ends up buying another little trinket. It's like a fossilized piece of coral, which just having, once again could be a crime and he steps out of the shop and bumps into a girl that he's met at work and he literally is so fucking crazy convinced that if he sees people outside of work down in this part of town that they're following him for the express purpose of turning him in and telling the party that he committed a thought crime that he genuinely considers bashing her head in and killing her oh my gosh and he's thinking about this for like a week normally sees her during the two minute hate so it's normal for him to see her but after he bumps into her on the street he doesn't see her for like a week and he's like that's it she saw me she told on me that's why she hasn't been at work she was just a plant she was never even working she was just there spying on me like totally fucking out of your mind all the time is how they expect you to operate in the society and that's like their plan
0: so they're basically trying to drive you insane
1: yeah like being afraid constantly makes you want somebody to soothe the worries of your like to soothe your worries so like creating a war which we'll find out that they do makes them a savior for defending you against that war and it's oh my gosh it's fucking crazy i believe that to some effect this kind of shit could be happening in our government not the whole war thing but maybe yeah um maybe one day so Pretty soon, though, he sees her at work again, like a week later. And she ends up passing him a note that says, I love you. And that was just like a way to get his attention. And they end up having like a whole ass affair. And they rent out a secret apartment from that shop owner that sold him the diary and the little trinket. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When she passes him the note, though, you find out that he has no way to like write her back. And even just having that note he could be in trouble they have these little holes everywhere in the ministry where you just like throw a piece of paper in and then underneath the hole is just a fire so every scrap of paper just gets burned to a crisp unless it has true quote-unquote true facts on it but even if you write a letter and mail it somebody at the party will open it and read everything in your mail so that's also something that I wanted to make sure you knew about this crazy ass book everyone's in prison but they're free war is peace freedom is slavery as they say in their quotes Crazy. They're they're having a full-on affair. They they have, like, cute little conversations every once in a while. And in one of those conversations, Julie actually mentions that she thinks the war is fake. And she also mentions at the time that she doesn't really care that the party changes history, and you're going to love this. She only questioned the teachings of the party when they in some way touched upon her own life. Often, she was ready to accept the, often, mythology, simply because the difference between truth and falsehood did not seem important to her oh my god yeah I mean Winston didn't really like that but he understands it he says in a way the worldview of the party imposed itself most successfully on people incapable of understanding it anyway I just had to make sure you heard those three quotes because they were fucking hilarious this book does sound so good yeah they could be made to accept the most flagrant violations of reality because they never fully grasped the enormity of what was demanded of them and they were not sufficiently interested in public events to notice what was happening. By lack of understanding they remained the same. They simply swallowed everything and what they swallowed did no harm because it left no residue behind. You know, because the party's gonna write whatever they want in history anyways. Yeah. So at this point, both Matt and I myself were thinking that maybe Julia's right about the war being fake because at this point they're also preparing for hate week, which is like the two minute hate, but like a whole fucking week of it where you're like out in the street rallying against the Goldstein and uh, the Brotherhood which is this secret underground organization supposedly that is rallying against the party and they're preparing for hate week. Hate week is like next, next week and then oddly their enemy starts like upping the bombings. There's like way more bombings this week. Like people are dying. Like literally they bombed a park and like 12 children died or something like this. Just... Isn't that the timing? Like, would your enemy know to bomb you more when you're getting ready to get all their people mad at them? Like, I I don't know. It's the weird timing, right? And then everybody's all freaking riled up, you know, ready to go for hate week. So, like, it makes sense that the party would be doing this to themselves because they need people hateful for their hate week. Hate week and the too many hate. Two minute hate is like it's it's giving Fox News. But if Fox News not only covered like ten times the amount of atrocities, but also committed them. So you mean like Newsmax? <laughs> yeah. Or InfoWars. Just kidding. InfoWars didn't do anything. That guy's just a fucking idiot. Yeah. I mean, he did do
0: something. But like really it is like Fox News because How many times did they beef up Trump's big lie and then it came to January 6th? And And then look what fucking happened. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it's a whole team of people doing it too. It's not just like the telescreens. They actually have people like out in the street, like rallying and giving speeches about this. So similar to the Trump and the January 6th thing, like he had his whole team of people out there saying throughout the entire country that stop the steal, all that stuff like george george orwell or eric if you prefer why the fuck were you predict no wonder you died early god couldn't have you out here predicting the future like this no only because he didn't want to see us watch the prediction see the prediction and then do the same fucking shit anyway (laughs) he had to save himself yep so, but like at the beginning of the book, you remember Winston's like, "Hmm, some of this shit seems sketchy." But by the middle of the book, he's like, "I'm ready to start keeping evidence of Big Brother's li- or yeah, Big Brother's lies." And he knows he can never bring down the party, but he wants to make sure this knowledge exists for like future generations, you know. And we also find out around this time about a coworker of his who was unpersoned. And like mm. I told you, basically, if you have any thought that is in opposition of a party belief they off you and remove you from history they remove all written record of your existence and if somebody even says your name after they could be unperson for it um So it's pretty weird when Winston is kind of in the presence of a member of the inner party named O'Brien and he brings this guy up. He doesn't say him by name, but he brings him up. Winston had already been kind of thinking that this guy O'Brien was part of the secret brotherhood because he had a dream about him once. So Winston and Julia end up going to O'Brien's house and O'Brien tells him that he is part of the brotherhood. Winston and Julia pledge themselves to the brotherhood, even though O'Brien tells them that it will definitely get them killed there are no two buts about it like they will fucking die they might have to kill kids they might have to do all this crazy shit but for sure the party will catch them and torture them and winston and julia are like i'm in so o'brien also ends up telling them that the brotherhood never attempts to rescue their own so when they are caught and they will be caught they're on their own he tells them he won't contact them again either if they ever see each other it's going to be at the ministry of love which I told you before controls law and order and going forward I'm going to probably refer to it as the jail because that's what they fucking that's what it is. Before he kicks them out and tells them he's never going to see them again he tells them he's going to make arrangements to get them a copy of this book written by Goldstein. Basically on the same day that they go to see um, O'Brien or a couple days following hate week starts and Winston ends up getting the book but he never gets a chance to read it during hate week because it's just super fucking busy he's doing all the hate week shit and then right in the middle of one of the hate speeches they just change who they're at war with so i told you before that there are three countries one's like eurasia and one's like east asia and then there's oceana which is where winston lives and for half of the book they're at war with eurasia and then right in the middle of hate week like in the middle of a speech this guy's like we're actually we're at war with east east asia and just acts like that has been the case ever since the 1950s so everybody in winston's ministry has to start working literally 18 hour days they're sleeping in cots in the ministry um for like a full week rewriting all of history of the entire war for 35 years to say that the enemy has always been east asia and it was never eurasia i don't understand what the point of this is but that's what that's what they do it's fucking crazy right and like they have to be so much in control that they couldn't even have a new enemy they have to have always been right that the person who needs to be hated is the person they've always been at war with it it doesn't make any fucking sense but this all means that Winston doesn't get a chance to read Goldstein's book for a while. And by the time he does, he hasn't really slept in like a whole week because he was working 18 hours a day and not even like getting to go home. He worked 18 hours a day? Yeah, they the entire Ministry of Truth worked 18 hours a day. And they even brought in beds and like were catering food to their desk because they literally couldn't leave their desk because they had to rewrite 35 years worth of war. Saying It would be like if the United States and Canada were at war for the last 35 years, and then in the middle of a speech, if Joe Biden got up and was talking about how we were losing the battle against Canada, and then in the next sentence was like, Mexico is storming our borders, and then proceeded on like Mexico had been the enemy the entire time, everybody in the Ministry of Truth has to go back and rewrite every single thing that said Canada was the enemy in the first place. Wow. And it takes every part of the ministry an entire week working 18-hour days, sleeping on the floor in the break room to get this chore accomplished. But they do it. They burn all of the old records, and now the party has always been at war with this new enemy. Okay. It's... It, it's. It's not just that he had to work 18 hours, and it's not just that they're fucking lying, but it's proven that working meaningless jobs is just really fucking terrible for us as humans. Like, knowing that your work has no meaning is just, it's bad for us. So anyways, they're torturing him before they even get to the fucking torturing. But finally, he gets off work from that awful week from hell and he can get to the apartment with Julia and he gets a chance to read Goldstein's book, which kind of explains how the party got such total control. And he basically just has his current thoughts of the party like more solidified. Goldstein in his book covers... um, the war is peace, part of the party slogan. And it's like explains how war is the tool to keep the population in line. And I have a quote for this. He says, it is deliberate policy to keep even the favored groups somewhere near the brink of hardship because a general state of scarcity increases the importance of small privileges and thus magnifies the distinction between one group and another. Which is why like somebody like O'Brien will be so in love with the party just because he gets wine over gin okay you know and it's he's like this is why they have to have war all the time earlier point in the book they explain how they produce too much stuff so they just have to find a way to get rid of it so war helps them get rid of shit because war takes a lot of resources Goldstein also goes on to explain like the different classes, which I kind of explained to you already. The proles are the lower class, the middle class is the outer party, and the inner party is like the upper class. And the thing that Goldstein brings to like the forefront is that all through history, these parties have basically existed. And they've all had different names throughout history and different Um, societies, but the goals always remain the same of three different parties. The high party is always just trying to remain in, in power and make sure that nobody is capable of overthrowing them. Like the inner party has to control every single thought of the outer party so they don't control them or so they don't ever overthrow them. And the middle ranking person or the outer party in this instance is always trying to figure out how to switch places with the higher party to get the power, you know, because of that, the high class and the middle class are always at oppositions with each other. But the lower class is never at opposition with anybody because they're so poor, they can't do anything except for work and eat and sleep and shit and procreate. And that's literally it. They don't have time to think about ideals and how the future could be better. They're trying to make sure their rent is paid today, and they have food for their kids, right? So I don't know, that's just... This is this is our fucking world right now, in my opinion. The top 1% is yeah. the inner party. And then there's like the people who are like, I don't want minimum wage to be $15 because it took me 15 years to get to $15 an hour. Not realizing that just because they actually make $15 an hour, like they're not actually better off either. They're just actually barely able to make meet their needs. The people below them are literally not able to meet their needs. And if everybody was able to meet their needs... It, it, it wouldn't hurt anyone except the high class who would have less people to run their machines and do the shit they need, you know? So anyway. This sounds so familiar. And then I'm like, did Ronald Reagan read this book? <laughs> Ronald Reagan most certainly read this book. Goldstein's also talking about how um, the countries aren't even, like, trying to win this war. Like, science doesn't exist in this world except for, for war machines. And they only build better war machines to keep up and never surpass their enemies. And that's true for all three countries. Like all three countries have a silent agreement to keep the status quo and be at war forever because it helps them all keep their people in line, keep everybody suffering vaguely. And you know, fuck fuck. It's, it sounds effective because even though yeah. there's a war in Ukraine, I feel slightly stressed out every single day since February. And I have, I couldn't imagine if it was here, if bombs were going off behind my head and I had to kick body parts out of my walking path, just trying to go buy a diary that could get me killed, just owning it. Fucking crazy. Oh God, Big Brother and the Inner Party basically have determined that the best way to keep these people in line is to keep them scared and keep them stupid. They say the problem is, that is to say, education. It is a problem of continuously molding the conscience, both of directing group and the larger executive group that lies immediately below it. The consciousness of the masses needs only to be influenced in a negative way. That's, that's the party's motto, negativity all day long. So by the time you give somebody a crumb of something good, they're like, thank you, orange God, you know,
0: whatever. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. So and these people, they fully believe we'll get into O'Brien drinking way too much Kool-Aid. So obviously thinking on your th- own is a threat to the party because you might have a different opinion and naturally thinking becomes illegal. This is just Goldstein wrapping up what we've already observed. And since the party says there are no laws, there are technically no need for trials, so you can be got rid of just on suspicion of thinking something bad or even having an original thought. Somebody says you said something, so you're disposed of. You do not defend yourself. Thoughts and actions which, when detected, means certain death, are not formally forbidden, and the endless purges, arrests, tortures, imprisonments, and vaporizations are not inflicted as punishment for crimes which have actually been committed, but are merely the wiping out of persons who might perhaps commit a crime at some time in the future. So you get put out of existence for pre-crime, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And... They get you to not commit this thought crime, you know, thinking bad about the party by like that enforced cognitive dissonance I was talking about before, the double think process. Um, I've got some quotes here to maybe explain it a little bit better. Double think means the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them. The party intellectual knows in which direction his memories must be altered; therefore, he knows that he is playing tricks with reality. But by the exercise of doublethink, he also satisfy himself satisfies himself that reality is not violated. The process has to be conscious, or would not be carried out with sufficient precision. But it also has to be unconscious, or it would bring with it the feeling of falsity and hence of guilt. Doublethink lies at the very heart of Insoc, which is like the thinking of the party, since the essential act of the party is to use conscious deception while retaining the firmness of purpose that goes with complete honesty. To tell deliberate lies while genuinely believing them, to forget any fact that has become inconvenient, and then when it becomes necessary, to draw it back again from oblivion for just as long as it is needed to deny the existence of objective reality like that sounds really familiar I, sorry i had to read that whole last paragraph to you because like that hello hello watching the election being stolen from you and then being like it, it's not watching ballads being counted and then being like the elections being stolen and hiring teams of lawyers to prove the election was stolen and coercing people to hide in basements and falsify votes to achieve your vision of you actually winning something that you didn't win. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying that happened recently, but maybe it did. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh man. So this is all under the guise of socialism, like I told you. And I really thought that was funny because in real life, People do shitty th- shit like this to a population and call it socialism. It's been yeah. effective, <laughs> Hitler, right? Yeah. So, that's all we get from Goldstein's book, though. Winston had been laying there in the secret apartment reading it to Julia out loud, and then all of a sudden, a voice behind a picture, like boomed out from behind a picture, and they discovered that Mister Charrington, the guy that rented them apart that apartment um had set them up he basically it seems like has this room for the express purpose of catching people um who are against the party like he lures them in by selling them some goods and then eventually he's like oh i have this room upstairs and he doesn't really offer to rent it to them but eventually they'll ask because they need an escape you know and that's how he catches them and that's how he caught winston and julia
0: oh my gosh the book is
1: split up into two parts or three parts so the second part of the book ends with winston and julia being taken away separately and winston ends up spending the rest of the book in jail or the ministry of love and it's fucked up from here on out so buckle up and i'll try to get through it as fast as i possibly can i'm so sorry okay. <laughs> Um, at first he's in a holding type cell he's not being fed and remember he really hasn't slept already anyways but they never turn off the lights and there's just like this thin bench for him to sit on and he has to sit on there 24 hours a day for an untold number of days and if he literally like moves a muscle the telescreen there's four telescreens in this room, actually. So he's being watched and listened to from all angles. Um, it yells at him to sit still. And he sees a bunch of people coming in and out, including including his annoying ass neighbor, Parsons, who had raised these little fucking trolls that were bragging about turning people in and even accused Winston one time of being uh, part of the Brotherhood and shot him with a slingshot. Anyway, they actually turned Parsons in for talking in his sleep. And Parsons ends up in Winston's cell and he's like sure the party won't kill him. He's been so loyal. And I'm like you think the party won't kill you and you don't know how many days you've been in a cell with no food and no sleep. Okay yeah sure they care about you I can tell. He's actually even proud of his kid for doing the right thing. Like the level of brainwashing here is complete. Oh my god. There's a scary scene that I want to tell you about. Like I told you, they're they're not being fed in here. Everyone's starving. And they bring somebody in. He's, or maybe it's she, I don't even know. Someone looks like a skeleton and everyone in the holding cell, because at this point it's kind of crowded, is staring at this person. And all of a sudden this guy gets up and drops a piece of bread on the floor near that lady. Like, kind of being like, hey lady, you can have this. And... It is a lady, confirmed right now. And she, like, puts her hands behind her back, like, to show the cameras, like, I didn't even try to touch that bread. And then all of a sudden, this guard comes in and punches this dude, who is also basically a skeleton, in the face so hard that he flies across the room and hits his head on the toilet. So he's, like, bruised and bleeding from two different sections of his face. Disgusting. Anyway, he ends up recovering. He's sitting on the bench. And, um... All I would think is- that he he would have died if he's so skinny. Oh, he's gonna die soon. Don't you worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they bring them. They just bring them within an inch of dying. It's so many times. It's it's so. I'm gonna leave a lot out of what they actually do in this place. But an underlying current current in this holding cell is that everybody is terrified of going to room 101. they, they would rather undergo any version of torture as long as it's not this room 101 that we will find out what it is later the bread guy who dropped the bread somebody walks in and points to him and says you're going to room 101 and he's like do anything to me You've been starving me for weeks. Finish it off and let me die. Shoot me, hang me, sentence me to 25 years. Is there somebody else you want me to give away? Just say who it is and I'll tell you anything you want. I don't care who it is or what you do to them. I've got a wife and three children. The biggest of them isn't six years old. You can take the whole lot of them and cut their throats in front of my eyes and I'll stand by and watch it, but not room 101. Like, fuck. Oh my God. He does not- You
0: You know it's bad if he said that.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, it's fucking bad. So they take him anyways. He's going, you can't reason with these people. It's systematic. It's, it's, they have a system and you're going to be eradicated. You're going to be rehabbed, they say. But eventually Winston's taken out of this holding cell. It's not, he doesn't go to room 101, but he goes somewhere else. Um, It sounds like a dingy dungeon to me. And mind you, a lot of these rooms are like really far underground. Like this is a super tall building that also has very many underground levels. So he might just be down in the basement right now and they just spend a few days or maybe weeks just beating the shit out of him for hours at a time, like five dudes at a time, just stomping him and kicking him. And then after that, they start interrogating him for 10 to 12 hours at a time and they aren't beating him as much anymore, but they're still hurting him, like inflicting pain other ways, like pinching and screaming at him and, and, at the same time, asking questions and having him under extreme lights and stuff. And he's just confessing to anything and everything to get them to stop what they're doing, whether it's true or not. So he's basically just like giving them an excuse to beat him at this point. Well, they don't need an excuse to beat him. He's just trying to get them to stop. And it seems like for a week, they were beating him without asking any questions. They were just softening him up so that by the time the people come and ask questions, he's going to tell them whatever to get them to stop the smallest amount of uncomfortableness that they like exude onto him, you know? It sounds like a very effective system because I feel like if five dudes beat the shit out of me for days and days and days, then I would confess to anything too. Yes, same here. Because once he confesses to something, the torture stops. I mean, after after they take him into the room and they're in- interrogating him, there's no way to get the beating to stop. That's just part of the process. You have, to, you have to undergo it. He confessed to the assassination of eminent party members, the distribution of sedacious pamphlets, embezzlement of public funds, sale of military secrets, sabotage of every kind, he says. He confessed that he was a spy for the East Asian government, which they're not even at war with East Asia anymore. It was announced that they're at war with Eurasia. So he's confessing to literally anything they bring up just to make this shit stop and they presumably do that to everyone because the guy the bread guy was like i'll confess to anything else you want me to you know so then he's actually taking somewhere else um still not room 101 and guess who fucking walks in but o'brien like he finds out about three quarters through the book that o- o'brien betrayed them and he ends up being the next part of winston's torture slash rehab and he ends up getting strapped down to this machine that it sounds like you feel like you're being drawn and quartered like all of your limbs are tied down and then it just starts like feeling like everything's being pulled pulling from your like pulled from your spine Sounds awful. Oh, my God. And they can turn it up to like 150 notches, but they start at 40, you know, to be gentle. And what O'Brien is trying to achieve is to get Winston to appropriately like engage in double think. So he's like holding up his hand and being like, how many fingers am I holding up? And he's holding up four, but he wants Winston to say five. Like, he's like, I'm holding up five fingers. Aren't I Winston? And he's holding up four fingers. And Winston's like, that's clearly four. Blasts him with the freaking machine. And this goes on for a long time. And he's like other dumb shit. Like if big brother says two plus two equals five, how much does two plus two equal? Five is the answer that he wants. And this goes on for a long time. Winston finally asks why they don't just kill him. And O'Brien explains why they don't just kill people. And it's fucking depressing. He says, we do not destroy the heretic because he resists us. So long as he resists us, we never destroy him. We convert him. We capture his inner mind. We reshape him. We burn all evil and all illusion out of him. We bring him over to our side, not in appearance, but genuinely heart and soul. We make him one of ourselves before we kill him. They're really just um, trying to purge his mind of these thoughts before they kill him. He's, he's a dead man no matter what. Damn. Yeah. Um, But eventually he like says, okay, I see five fingers or two plus two equals five, like whatever, whatever O'Brien's trying to get him to say. And then O'Brien gives him a drug that makes him feel real good. And this has been a thing that's been going on ever since he's been in the jail. There's always doctors around making sure he's just alive enough to do a little bit more torture, making sure he's just alive enough to do a little more interrogation, making sure he feels a little bit better so that he starts to trust Big Brother. But then he gets strapped into a new machine and this one doesn't hurt but it does something that seems like it gives him a concussion and his brain ends up in such a daze that the brainwashing actually starts to work o'brien holds up four fingers and winston sees five wow yeah they do a bunch of these concussion back-breaking brainwashing sessions and then eventually o'brien actually admits that he wrote goldstein's book there is no goldstein the whole idea of Big Brother is, like, created by the party and perpetuated by people like O'Brien. Then shouldn't Br- O'Brien be being held accountable, too? Well, he does this all for the party because the book okay. and the idea of the book and the idea of the brotherhood brings out heretics like Winston and Julia. So okay. the party always has a nonstop supply of heretics to persecute, to not only entertain the public, but to also keep the public scared into wow. continuing double-think. Okay. And they always see that there is a continuing enemy to Big Brother. So Big Brother does really need to be this forceful and this crazy when they're destroying people, you know? So it's all part of their fucking plan. It's They had Mr. Charrington with a fake apartment. They got O'Brien with the fake fucking book. Like, everybody is there to set you up. It's crazy. So when Winston was thinking Julia was following him at the beginning and considering killing her, like, he was not that wasn't crazy. That was just him keeping up with the times. O'Brien is really quite proud of himself. He's clearly drunk all of the Kool-Aid, like I mentioned before. And he even believes that the party makes the laws of nature and nothing would exist without them. Winston is questioning him about that, um, saying, what about like the bones of enormous reptiles, which lived long before men? And O'Brien's like, have you seen those bones, Winston? Of course not. 19th century biologists invented them. Before man, there was nothing. After man, if he could come to an end, there will be nothing. Outside man, there is nothing. He even explains away the stars, saying they only seem far away because Big Brother tells you they seem far away. Like O'Brien is fully dedicated to the party oh my god! and mind you his life is very similar to winston he has a very similar job he has to wear the same clothes he doesn't have a car but he has a slightly nicer house and he gets slightly nicer food okay and i mean his job is torturing people which he seems to enjoy so i guess that's a perk too o'brien goes on to explain exactly how people are going to like get complete control of all thought by making people suffer. Obedience is not enough. Unless he is suffering, how can you be sure he is obeying your will and not his own? Power is inflicting pain and humiliation. Power is tearing human minds to pieces and putting them together again in new shapes of your own choosing. So yeah, anyway. Then he makes uh, Wilson take off all of his clothes and look at himself in the mirror, and Winston is not in a good way. He's like a fucking skeleton. He's covered in scars. He's balding now. He's literally gray from not having a bath in so long, and most of his teeth are missing. And just, just to like prove his point that like humiliation is necessary to the complete and total annihilation of the person's psyche before they can like completely give themselves over to big brother, he shouts, look here, look at the few teeth you have left, they're dropping out. And he just grabs one of his front teeth and rips it out of his fucking face. God, that sounds so painful. Yeah. And I mean, his teeth are literally rotting out probably from being beaten so much. So it comes out relatively easy, but fucking hell. So this chapter ends with Winston wondering when they'll finally shoot him because O'Brien has assured him that he will be shot but you know there's also this undercurrent in everybody kind of it's a secret that's not really a secret that the party loves to rehab people in these facilities put them back out into the world and then shoot them once they got comfortable so they don't think they're gonna die but they end up dying you know yeah yeah so um eventually like that's the end of the torture um they start letting him have three meals a day clean clothes he gets to have baths he even gets a bed he's actually starting to like feel content he said he was not bored he had no desire for conversation or distraction merely to be alone not to be beaten or questioned to have enough to eat to be clean all over was completely satisfying that's what they want from you to just be satisfied with the bare necessities of life to be happy that you're not beaten right that's that's crazy that would be like having a boyfriend who like never tells you you're pretty but is like i don't hit you though So I'm fine. I'm not doing anything wrong. Not saying like you need to be told you're pretty all the time, but like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So Winston's fully immersed. He like sits in a cell and studies double thinking like a good little party member. And it's actually like making sense to him. He realizes you just have to accept what the party says at all times without allowing any questions into your brain. And then you'll have the same hallucinations as everyone else.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
1: Anything could be true the so-called laws of nature were nonsense. The law of gravity was nonsense. Um, He recalls this conversation he had with O'Brien where O'Brien said, if I wished I could float off this floor like a soap bubble and Winston worked it out saying, if he thinks he floats off the floor and I simultaneously think I see him doing, then it happened. Right? Even if he never actually floated off the floor, if we both think it happened, then it happened. What is truth? Nothing is true. Nothing is fact. Like, he's totally... He's hes in. They've got him. Indoctrinated. Um, although, he's, it does have a little tiny bit of emotion left, and while he's doing his studies, one day some emotion overwhelms him he used to be fully in love willing to die over julia like they promised the only thing they would never do was betray each other and so he's just overwhelmed with emotion in his little room and he shouts julia and of course o'brien comes storming in and takes him to room 101 and we're finally gonna find out what all the fuss is about
0: o'brien is taking winston to room
1: 101 yeah so do we know where julia is during all of this we don't and Um, sometime during the torture, O'Brien actually told Winston that Julia flipped way before and has already been put back into her normal life. Oh, okay. So, but that could be a lie. That could be just another part of the torture. We don't know where she is this whole time. He will bump into her again later, so we know she doesn't die by the end of the book, at least. Okay. So, Room 101 turns out to just be a room where they make your biggest fear come to life, so you'll renounce any remaining attachment that is in the way of full commitment to the party, i.e. Winston's attachment to Julia. And Winston's biggest fear is rats. So they basically have him strapped to a chair and there's a wall of hungry rats waiting to be released. And they have like these mechanical walls so they can push a button and like, they come a little bit closer, they come a little bit closer. And these rats are like notoriously fucking terrible. Um, In this time, let me let me tell you the rat said O'Brien still addressing his invisible audience. He's fucking crazy. Although a rodent is carnivorous, you're aware of that. You've heard the things that will happen in the poorer quarters of this town. In some streets, a woman dare not leave her baby alone in the house even for five minutes. The rats are certain to attack it within quite a small time they will strip it to the bones they also attack sick or dying people they show astonishing intelligence in knowing when a human being is helpless so o'brien is saying all of this all the while pushing buttons and letting the rats come closer and closer and winston's having none of it he will not be eaten alive by these rats and he's like do it to julia do it to julia not me julia i don't care what you do to her tear her face off strip her to the bones not me julia not me like renounced her he 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 is fully committed to the party oh my gosh that's it that's that's like the second to last chapter of the book and they have fully rehabbed him
0: and so do they kill him because didn't they say once they rehab him they kill him do you want me to spoil the book for you
1: I feel like we've gone so far
0: yeah just do it
1: okay well by the last chapter Winston is back in his regular life he has a better job and like a better apartment like renouncing all of his attachments has gotten him benefits and that's literally what o'brien saw when he started drinking all the party kool-aid which is why he gets such glee from torturing these people right but winston's a raging alcoholic now he literally wakes up drunk goes to freaking lunch gets some more drink but he's fully invested in thinking the quote-unquote correct way and he often reminds himself that two plus two is five and he's like super invested invested emotionally in the war and its outcome he literally celebrates when the telescreen like trumpets to talk about news of the war oh my gosh yeah like he's he would be watching tucker at 9 p.m or whatever and then like getting on facebook and raging uh so he randomly bumps into Julia like I said and they end up chatting and it's clear to both of them that they both have been completely rehabbed they feel no spark no nothing towards each other and they both realize that they ended up betraying each other and it's like a pretty powerful part of the book so I want to read it to you so they're just um like realizing they betrayed each other in the exact same way. And she says, sometimes they threaten you with something, something you can't stand up to, can't even think about. And you say, don't do it to me, do it to somebody else, do it to so-and-so. And perhaps you might pretend afterwards that it was only a trick and that you just said it to make them stop and didn't really mean it, but that isn't true. At the time when it happens, you do mean it. You think there's no other way of saving yourself and you're quite ready to save yourself that way. You want it to happen to the other person. You don't give a damn what they suffer. All you care about is yourself. And Winston agrees. And that's the goal of the party, right? To be willing to sacrifice anyone to say that the party's right. Wow. And yeah, that's a really, uh, fuck, fuck. And I mean, when it comes down to it, that's how it is when you're getting tortured, isn't it? Yeah so Winston ends up getting released to the public. we already know um he because we he bumped into Julia and he's sitting in a bar one day and the telescreen announces some good news. I don't remember specifically what it is, but Oceana has made some they've had some victory in the war and he's totally relieved like he is so absorbed in the party he's thrilled at the number of enemies they took out they killed half a million people and he's like he wishes they killed more he wholeheartedly believes in B- big brother in this very moment and at that very moment o'brien walks up and shoots him in the back of the head wow so they rehabbed him right to the portway point where he would never think badly of big brother again and then killed him because they can't allow people to die with opposing views um o'brien kind of talked about this in the book they can't allow people to die as martyrs. Like if you die with your views and people know that you have those views, you become a martyr and people might back you. You, you can't, you can't, they can't do that. And um, even like in the fake book that O'Brien wrote for Goldstein, he was talking about how this party figured out that the way to stop people from rebelling is to get rid of the idea of rebellion. And you do that by getting rid of the martyrs. Okay. So um, I know we were going to talk about lines that stuck with us, but I kind of went through it in my little review. Uh,
0: What grounds do you think people may have used to ban or challenge this book?
1: Okay, I I have some ideas here. If it was like a government, like entity or agent, um, I think... They probably would have just banned it for the overall message of never trusting the government 100% or, like, communism. But if it was schools, if it was banned in a school, I'm assuming it was probably banned because there are sex scenes. He talks about raping someone at a point. He visits a prostitute, and it's pretty fucking cringy. communism of course i feel like would probably be grounds and just like the violence like the tooth getting ripped out like um if it was a parent bringing it to the school i think that's the grounds that they would have that they would actually win um a case for banning it that's not to say that i think it should be banned um i think that it probably should be like Not in school libraries for a certain age group. But like high schoolers could definitely read this. It's not like graphic like sex scenes or anything like that either. It's just like, you know, they had sex. They met up in a field and then they're sweaty one line later. Okay. So are we going to Google why it actually was banned? It was challenged for its pro-communism and sexually explicit content alongside other subversive and dystopian stories. like his animal farm story. That's what Verity says um, it was banned for. And then if we look at ucpress.edu, and this one says that it was repeatedly banned and challenged in the past for social and political themes, as well as for context. Additionally, in 1981, it was challenged in Florida for being pro-communism. Okay. Yeah, so um, basically what I thought it would be for, but I, of course, don't agree because it's not pro-communism it's not pro-communism it's definitely pro-socialism um also it's a really fucking good message and the message is don't like you need to think for yourself that's the message and that that's like a message that we need to keep forever although like the prostitute scene and him thinking about like the person he was thinking about raping was Julia. It was when they bumped into each other on the street and she freaked him out and he was like, "I'm going to pin her down and rape her and murder her." Like oh. um Yeah, I feel like it needs some age restrictions on it. But also, I just don't think a 7-year-old is going to pick this bad boy up and read it either. No, not at all. So, yeah. That's that's what I've got to talk about and my my band book. I really enjoyed it. Um, even though I told you a lot of it, I left a lot of the details out. Um, if you wanted to read it, I think you could still get a lot from it. Okay. Noted. My band book is Beyond Magenta.
0: The author is Susan Cucklin, I believe is how you say her last name. She's an award-winning author and photographer of more than 30 books. She writes children and young adult books that address social issues and cultures In this book, she interviewed, photographed, and created individual profiles of teenagers in the transgender
1: community. I'm really excited for this book. I mean, my early guess of why it was banned is, like, people are going to say it was grooming, but whatever. We all, we know that's (laughs) code for I don't understand this. Oh, yeah. All right, I'm excited. I feel like I could just kick back and listen to the story now and react. So I didn't take as many detailed notes as you,
0: so I'm just going to kind of go over, like, the big... Stories that I got out of their
1: story. I was so, I'm I was excited and looking forward to like how we were going to do this differently because I kind of guessed that we weren't going to present our stories the same way, especially because yours seems like six different stories. It is. So its so it have been a little harder for you to do it my way.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we're starting out with Jesse. Jesse is a Thai. Jesse was born as a Thai woman. I feel like saying the culture is very important because of Jesse's story so when Jesse was a little kid he knew that he didn't fit in he knew that his body wasn't the one that he wanted to be in so from a little kid he played guitar he played piano he played like things that you would think were like boy instruments I guess mm-hmm. and he did uh, karate And he was always known as a tomboy. That's what they would call them in Thai. Always the girl who would play with boys.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: They just called him Jesse. He's an only child, his parents' only daughter. And now they're his son. Well, he had to wear dresses growing up, and he didn't want to wear dresses. So he would wear, like, pants and stuff. And one thing I highlighted was from that early age, I knew that being a
1: girl was not for me. I have a question. Yeah. Do you know what time this is? Like, what year? This was written in 2014. Do you know when Jesse grew up? No. Okay. Um, Yeah. That stinks, though. Like, I personally feel like kids start having opinions on their clothing from, like, the second you put clothing on them. Like, babies kick their shoes off because shoes are fucking scams. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so, I don't know. That... That Even that tiniest little bit of oppression, and I'm sure if, if you're being forced to wear clothes that you don't like, you're also probably, whether your parents know it or not, being forced to do other things that are not good for your identity. So, anyway.
0: Yeah, and one thing Jesse noted was when he was around three years old and hanging out with the boys, he wanted to go in the boys' bathroom. And then his mom pulled him out and was like, you can't go in there. It's the boys' bathroom. And he's like, why can't I? And she's like, you're a girl. You need to start acting like one. In preschool, there's pictures of him wearing a suit and necktie, and his dad, like, forced him to wear dresses, he goes, I don't want to wear this. I don't want to wear this. Well, fast forward to when Jesse grows up a little bit, and he's in karate, and he gets hit in the face. He has a bruise. Well, his dad didn't like that, so his mom took him out and made him do dancing, and he cried because he didn't want to do dancing. And he... They, like, would make him dress like a girl, grow his hair out. And he said, no matter how pretty I looked, I felt uncomfortable. I felt like I wasn't in the right in a physical sense. So they ended up moving back to Thailand because his dad was a diplomat. So we had to move some – they moved to Florida when he was little. And then they moved back to Thailand. Well, when they were in Thailand, Jesse ended up coming out as lesbian, but more like what they would call a tomboy, which would be he cut his hair. Mm -hmm. He dressed more butch. And someone was like, are you gay? And he goes, I don't know. His parents wanted him to go to college in the States. So he ended up going to a religious school, a religious high school in Florida. And there he couldn't let anyone know that he was gay because it's a religious school and he didn't want his friends to rat him out where he would get kicked out or look at him any different. They st- he starts to learn about like what transgender is. And so he tells his mom that he's trans and explains to him that, He's transgender. And his mom just didn't really like that. She was like, Why would you want to do that? Why can't you be comfortable with yourself? I don't see other lesbians doing this. And Jesse said, I explained that I never felt like a lesbian. I never wanted to look feminine. I'm attracted to the feminine look, but I never wanted it for myself. Mm-hmm. So also, Jesse is not attracted to lesbians. Jesse's attracted to women that are attracted to men. Yes, so I thought that was, I thought that was interesting because i'd always wonder, like if a male transitioned to a woman and then started dating another man i 'm like, why aren 't you just gay? Yeah, so that explained it to me
1: yeah it 's good to hear it in words. I joined this club when I was going to school um, back in like 2017 and they actually had somebody come in and talk about this whole idea of transgender to us. And it really put into perspective that like sexuality is very separate from your sexual orientation, gender identity. Yeah. Gender identity. That's the phrase I was trying to think of. So yeah, that's exactly what he's saying here. And I understand that. And I really, when you said somebody asked if he was gay and he said, I don't know. Um, how could you know if you've constantly been like pushed in one direction? You haven't had the opportunity to explore anything else. How could you know? Yeah. So, and of course, his mom is like, I'm confused. Other lesbians aren't saying that they're men or whatever, however she phrased it. Like, of course, his mom doesn't understand because she was probably also like pushed in this direction and thought that it was just the most natural thing in the world to push her child in the direction of the gender that they were born in yeah the the thing is we need male dancers too Mm Hmm. (laughs) my lanta we need all of the genders okay they all need to be everywhere because we all do different things (sighs) anyway i'm back in your story sorry about my tangent no you're fine okay how jesse found
0: out about the transgender community was when he was 16 he saw a tv episode about the community and he was like oh my god that could definitely be me So um, he and his mom didn't talk for about three weeks because his mom was just devastated. And he was like, I want to transition. I'm at a point where I'm responsible enough to carry on my transition. And she she was like, I don't know how to accept this. And he's like, I do everything to make you proud. I'm the child who never disappoints you. This is the only time I'm asking you to understand something about me. I know it's hard. I don't expect you to completely understand me, but please try. And so then she just kind of, I guess now, he says now she's completely fine with having a son. She even put her put Jesse down as her son on Facebook and said, I think you're going to be a very handsome man. Jesse didn't really have a relationship with his dad because his dad worked for the government, but he told his dad and his dad was just like, I just want you to be happy and successful. I want you to be happy who you are. I want to see you become a good person. And that's so that what was, your
1: parents should say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I'm tearing up a little bit. I'm really <laughs> glad that this ended with him having a good relationship with his parents because, like, uh, I feel like that's not frequently the case. No. Maybe I have a negative view of the world. I mean, I do for sure, but I feel like a lot of times the parents are like, I don't understand, and when people don't understand, they get angry instead of curious, like yeah. Ted Lasso explains.
0: Yes, but this book starts you out with a good story.
1: That, I hope they end us with a good story, too. Um, I, there's five more, though, so you're going to break my heart soon. I know it. Yeah. Jesse ends up
0: going to therapy to just, like, talk to the person to make sure, like, this is the move that he wants to make. And once he figures out, like, yes, I want to be transgender – He goes through therapy. He starts getting testosterone. They call it T. He was worried, though, because there's something with the Thai passport that if you don't look like your picture on the Thai passport, like, you can't get in. So Jesse had to figure out how to change that because he still has family in uh, Thai. In 2011, so 2011 is when he started taking testosterone injections. It took about a month for Jesse to... Really, because they have pictures in here. So, like you can tell, Jesse is still feminine on April 6th. April 18th, you can see that more masculine features are coming, like his hair's growing out. And then on May 5th, he kind of looks like my older brother in a way.
1: Getting a little more masculine.
0: Yeah. And his sleeping habits changed while on testosterone. At first, he started with low, tos- low doses of tea to see how it changed. And then once he started feeling comfortable and started looking like himself, he went up to the full dose
1: the fear of doctors I have makes this sound like such a fucking terrible offer process. And I can't imagine like having to go through all that just to feel like yourself. So good for him. Good for him. Cause I would be too scared.
0: Yeah. He actually wants to be um, a doctor for the transgender
1: community. They need those. I didn't realize like how difficult it is for transgender, transgender people to get, Medical care and like not just medical care, but like getting a doctor who can treat you and knows like what you need. But also, health insurance is a huge fucking problem. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! So, anyways, good for him. I hope he does become a doctor, and I hope that he does specialize in transgender people and their issues because they need more representation in the medical field. From what I have read and heard,
0: so then there's a little within Jesse's story. There's a uh, paragraph, women's lockers, men's bathroom. So I'm just going to read this little paragraph to you. I was still going into the women's lockers. Mind you, this is after several sessions of tea. That I thought, wait, I'm getting further and further into my therapy, and sooner or later, I'm going to sound and look completely like a man. So how do I handle the gym? I was close with the gym owner, so I planned to tell him, if you start seeing me going to the men's locker room, it's because I've transitioned to male. I won't use the shower, though, since the bottom part of me hasn't changed. In general, I hate using public showers. I prefer to shower at home. Ever since I started transitioning, I've used a stall in the men's room. When you see me, you say, that's a male. It would be awkward if I used a woman's bathroom. A lot of men are pee shy. They use the stalls, not the urinals. Women are different. Women go in the bathroom. They look around, talk. They put on makeup. but men just go in, do their business, and leave. They're not looking to chat or get friendly, so they don't really care whether you use a urinal or not. So it just, like, makes me think back to... I can't even remember when it was, but when people were like, use the bathroom that is signed at your gender. What happens if you are in the process of transitioning and your, t- your uh, hormones, whether it's estrogen or testosterone, are taking over and you're starting to look more like a male, but you're a female? Do you, well, would you feel comfortable with someone that looks like a male going into a
1: female's bathroom? Well, also, further... What if you never intend to get, like, bottom surgery? Yeah. Because that might be something that's unattainable to you because it's expensive as fuck or you can't find a doctor or you just don't want to do it because there's so many risks. Like, oh, I love when I go to a place and it's not a huge bathroom with a bunch of stalls and a bunch of sinks. I like when there's a few doors, it's one toilet in there, and it's just like, whatever you are, just wash your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think we need to get away from this idea of a giant bathroom with stalls because I don't even feel comfortable going into bathrooms, period, because of lurkers. But, yeah, I do remember that whole conversation. Yeah. So three months after he started
0: to take testosterone, he passes 100% as male. And he has a deep voice. He has facial hair. His skin texture is thicker. He's a lot more mass- muscular. He talks about how he's never be, never able to do pull-ups, and now he has upper body strength. And then must be nice. Meets, I know. And then he meets a woman at the gym, but uh, this woman is a lesbian. <gasps> and so she wasn't really, like, she wasn't too happy. Like, not that she wasn't happy with Jesse because they're dating now, but she was just, like... That wasn't her
1: initial kind of person she would be attracted to.
0: Yeah. So um, Jesse took Non out on a date. Non played kind of hard to get, so Jesse had to. Was like, I'm not asking you to love me. I'm not asking you to sleep with me. I'm just asking you for a little bit of your time before you jump and make assumptions about her being transgender. Mm -hmm. Because Non wasn't too sure about it. I liked this one said, God made me transgender for a reason. Maybe not God, but whoever created me. Whoever created me made me this way for a reason. I enjoy life from a different perspective. I can see the world simultaneously from a male and a female perspective. When I speak with non I understand where she's coming from as a woman. I understand the days when non has her period. I understand the days when she's cranky because I know what all that is like. And then when I speak to my male friends, I get along with all the guys because I can think like a guy. So Jesse considers himself metrosexual. So he still likes to get his nails done, not colored, but buffed. He still likes to just take care of himself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Jesse said within his religion that he's been taught that your body houses your soul. So for you to be emotionally happy, you need to be physically happy. You need to be in good health. So he's always had this concept of taking care of himself.
1: That'll be good if he becomes a doctor. Yeah.
0: So um, not ends up moving to New York for with Jessie for a little bit. Cause she's also a part-time model. So, Oh,
1: I know. Good for you, Jesse.
0: Yeah. I, I love this. And I was like, why can't more men be like this? So Jessie was like, when she moved in with me, she'd feed me and she'd fold my clothes. I can fold my own clothes. Not was hurt. She couldn't understand why I did not accept the things she wanted to do for me. I wasn't trying to hurt her. I'm just not used to that. I hadn't been exposed to that. And he's like, you're not my mother. I can help myself. And then. Yeah.
1: Why can't more men <laughs> be like
0: that? <laughs> yeah. Do oh your my own gosh. shit. And so then we end this. We end Jesse's story with. Um, Nan telling him that. Th- they confess their love to each other. And he just says. I'm embracing this whole mix that I have inside myself. And I'm happy. So forget the category. Just talk to me. Get to know me.
1: Well that was a good story.
0: <laughs> it was. Now we're on Christina. Christina has a longer chapter. Um, It starts off with her getting into a fight with someone on a train because she sits down with her boyfriend, and these girls are on there, and they're staring at her, and she goes, uh, one of the girls goes, can I help you? And Christina's like, yeah, can you stop laughing at me? And then the girl's like, this is a free country. I can laugh at whoever I want, and how do I know I'm laughing at you? And Christina said, because I'm not stupid. I heard you say, I don't know what that is. And she goes, I know you're a man with a big, fat, big-ass face, and so... Then a fight ensues.
1: I hate people who make fun of people for their appearance. Like, tell me that you don't have anything interesting to talk about without telling me you don't have anything interesting to talk about. If your best form of humor is making fun of someone, you are not funny. Yeah. or very smart, probably.
0: So, Christina, also born a boy named Matthew. She goes back and forth between... Like, does she like herself? Does she hate herself? She says, the other day I was thinking, I really, really hate being a, tra- being a transgender. It's a constant struggle. It's so annoying. So she says she's saving up for a vagina.
1: <laughs> that language, because that's fucking hilarious. Oh, man. I do imagine that is a really tough life, though, and it makes me sad to think about. She has two brothers, two older
0: brothers, Alvin, who's eight years older. Jonathan was a year older than her. Elvin is very, like, follow-the-rules type. Okay. Um, Christina said that her and Jonathan used to dress up all the time, and they'd be shoppers. They would wear their mom's stuff. They'd pretend purses were in their hands. And Elvin would always tattle on them, said they're acting like girls. And when the mom would question them, Christina would say, I'm just a man with long hair. And whenever they'd go to McDonald's, she'd want Barbies instead of the boy toys. Yeah. With the long hairs
1: yeah hair is nice (coughs) it is I love having hair it's one of my favorite things about myself honestly yeah Um, Christina says
0: that teasing began in elementary school and Jonathan would always be like point the kids out to me I'm gonna fuck them up and Jonathan is remember the one that's a year older
1: yeah fuck them up Jonathan I love you
0: yeah and there was a girl that was in 5th grade and Christina says all the boys were crazy about her she was the it girl
1: I bet she's trash now, Christina. Probably. All the Great It girls are trash now.
0: Yeah. And Christina said, she was my ideal girl. I wanted to look like her. I wanted the attention from the boys. She was tall. Her name was Christina. My mom hated that name. That's where she
1: got her name. Yep. (gasps) So she, like, she's been sure of herself and what she wanted to do for a long fucking time. She, like, she saw that Christina and was like, I am going to be a goddess Yep. In the name of you. Exactly. I so, love it.
0: I do too. So Jonathan ended up coming out at 11 years old. When he turned 12 or 13, he told his mother and she completely flipped. So. No, Christina is not going to have
1: a good time.
0: Yeah. His mom said, that's disgusting. She started crying and then looked at Christina and said, I hope you're not gay too. Oh
1: my gosh. And also. Christina's- I totally thought Elvin was going to be gay because I feel like the people who are angry about people doing, like, quote-unquote, like, girly shit are closeted. But yeah. maybe, maybe you're going to reveal that to me later.
0: Gosh. They come from a Catholic family, so that him being gay is kind of a big deal. They just kept saying, he'll come out of it. He'll come out of it. It's just a phase because oh his gosh. mom would go to church and pray about it. Oh, my well, gosh. Christina was like – Christina was in her early teens, really feminine. I would always ask my mom, ma- ask her mom, why hasn't my voice got deeper? Her mom would just be like, You're a late bloomer. Her mom decided to send her to an all boy Catholic school. Oh
1: my gosh. And I Christina, hate this. This feels like the equivalent of like praying the gay away. Yeah.
0: <sighs> okay. So at this point, Christina was like, I don't know how to act like a man. So she asked Jonathan, and Jonathan was like, you have to change your clothes, you have to change your style, you have to wear baggy pants, oversized t-shirts, do-rags, sneakers, walk like this, talk like this, and she was just thinking this would be so much easier if I went to co- co-ed school. I could just look at girls' clothes and figure out, like, how to dress from there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Jonathan taught Christina how to sit with the legs, sit with legs open, which she says she never could do naturally because she hated it,
1: and... Yeah, because man-spreading is fucking rude. Yeah. I'm doing Uh, it right now. (laughs) He
0: had to try and, like, deepen his voice to talk and to, like, introduce himself. He said no one accepted him as a straight boy, and within a week, they started picking on him because he was a naturally feminine, quiet kid.
1: I just – I've been reading, like, some articles lately about, like, personality switching, like, how you're, like, a different person at work than – you would normally be and how draining and taxing mentally it is. It just is a cause for a lot of social anxiety, anxiety, depression in our society. And like, imagine if you had to act like you were not the person you really were 24-7 because even your mother couldn't tolerate you being who you are. That sounds like pure agony.
0: Yeah, so Christina ended up finding a friend, Christopher, who liked Britney Spears, uh, was very feminine. Christina asked if he was gay. He said he wasn't. They ended up coming out later as gay. They're, he's not transgender, but they still talk. Mm-hmm. And then how Hoy is Christina's best boyfriend, and she used to be very attracted to him. When she was in her adrono- androgenous stage, mm-hmm. she would tell him that she liked him a lot, and he's like, I don't go that way. And then she's like, but I'm a girl. So then she started going to gym class, would always get picked last. Uh, didn't feel comfortable getting dressed in front of the boys. She would read Cosmo and Glamour. She was on, the ro- on a roll and the Dean's list all four years, so that's good for her. Yeah. She, she liked to draw. She drew girls a lot. And then she just showed off her artwork to the person that's doing this. When she was in 11th grade, they went on a boys' retreat, During the retreat, they all had to admit something or say something that they needed help from God with.
1: (sighs) I'm scared. Scared for the boy's reaction.
0: Yeah. She said that she told everyone she wanted acceptance because she was gay. Even though that time she knew that she wanted to be a woman. But she didn't say that because, you know.
1: She was testing the waters.
0: Yeah. After she said she was gay, the room went silent. And it was the first time that she came out to people.
1: Ugh. And everybody was just like, wish you hadn't said that. Mm Mm-hmm. Fucking hell. And by her senior year, she
0: is coming out as a girl. She learned about transgender people from her brother, Jonathan, who was dating a boy named Renee. Okay. Yeah.
1: So now she can put a name to the feeling she's been having?
0: Yes. She said her brother's boyfriend would dress up in women's clothes. Put on a wig, fill up bags with rice and put them in the bra. So that's how she figured it rice out. Rice boobies. Yeah. She asked Jonathan, is there a way that I could look like a girl too? And he was like, no. And so then Christina tried to dress up in a girl. And when she did and looked in the mirror, that's when she became Christina. Good for her. And yeah. Then Jonathan ended up dating someone whose mom was transgender. So then Christina got to have that conversation with someone who was trans.
1: Nice. Face to face.
0: Yeah. So here we talked about her transition. And she said it's a very long process. They go through stages and they go through what's called gender bending. And it's when you don't look like a male and you don't look like a female and you're in between changing from one gender to another. Huh. So strangers would be like, What are you? Gosh. Uh, the,
1: the, if you ask, someone what are you the only thing that actually needs to be known between the two of you is that you the person asking that are fucking rude period that's such a rude question in regards to gender or race or anything like i hate it
0: the summer before she started her senior year she had a she just embraced being a woman She had pink beads and hearts and a little bunny keychain on her phone. And her mom said, we're going to your godparents. Take that off. She's like, why? And her mom said, because that's for girls. And Christine was like, why can't boys have this too? There's nothing wrong with it. And her mom says, okay, Matthew, I know you're gay, but that doesn't mean you have to show the whole world you're gay. Oh
1: my gosh! But maybe it does. Who cares what the world fucking knows, mother? Fuck the world. What are they doing for you personally? Nothing. Fuck them. Where the pink beads? Jesus.
0: Yeah. So Christina says I'm not gay, and her mom's like, "You like girls?" And she's like, "No, so you like boys?" And she's like, "Yeah." And so her mom's like, "So you're gay?" And she goes, "No, I'm not." And then she talks to her mom about a show about Maury. And how there was an episode, is it a guy? Is it a girl? And she's like, that's me. I'm transgender. I remember
1: these. Did you ever watch that on Maury? They would have, like, ladies coming up on the stage. And then dudes would have to guess. And they'd be like, oh, I know a woman when I see them. And they always got it fucking wrong.
0: Yeah, no, I didn't. Well, then her mom goes, okay, can you do me a favor and try not to show it? And so then Christina took the clip
1: off her phone. (sighs) I hate her mom. Her mom is not supportive. And I just feel like uh, that's your number one job as a parent.
0: Yeah. And so it just kind of gets worse because Christina gets her nails done before school, her hair done. Her mom throws a BF. uh, She gets into school. She becomes a joke. The boys found her female Facebook account and just... Started posting it around and would just write the F word on her picture on her locker room. And then the principal told her that she needs to cut her hair. And he's like, it's school school policy. You have to keep it above the collar. And she was like, I'll keep it above the collar. And he's like, you need to get rid of the bangs. So basically just like telling her to be a boy.
1: And see the thing is if you had a supportive mother in this situation and the principal told you to cut your hair your mother would be in the principal's office having his ass and honestly probably his job. Like yeah. show me a place in a school dress code where it's actually fucking written that you're allowed to tell a child to cut their hair.
0: Yeah. Dress down day. Christina doesn't have any boy clothes at this point because they wear uniforms so she wears girl clothes to the school. The principal ends up sending her home because she can't wear girl clothes. Whenever she'd go shopping, like, at the mall, people would call her the F word, which is weird <sighs> because this is in New York, so you'd think that they'd be Used more to accepting. seeing
1: people doing their own
0: things. Yeah. Then she was taking religious class, and a kid was like, you can't be in here because you're gay. And... She was like, "Being transgender is different from being gay. Being transgender is feeling like a woman. Gay men don't want to become women." Christine has been living this life without taking like hormones and stuff, mm-hmm. and people call her an F word all the time. Yeah,
1: I hate it. I, I I don't even know what to say. Yeah,
0: so she starts taking therapy, um, so she could take hormones. She started March of her senior year, and she said that. Uh, she got very, very sick, felt weak, got headaches. Um, and she asked her, th- uh, her psychology teacher if you change your hormones from one sex to the next, you become sick. He says, You become sick because your body's not used to it. Estrogen is foreign to your body, you have some, but not a lot. That's so what I was thinking. Yeah, so then she ends up, um, doing her transition and she starts to look more like a girl. Um, Yay. Senior prom comes. Over the loudspeaker, they said, you cannot bring the same-sex person to prom. You cannot wear a dress to prom. So that just kind of, like...
1: Like they said over the loudspeaker, like, no same-sex couples. If you are a boy, you can't wear a dress. If you're a girl, you have to wear a dress. Like, yeah. oh, my fucking God. And this is in the time of Facebook, so it's sometime in the 2000s. Okay, you... Oh, fucking hell.
0: But she ended up buying a woman's tuxedo. Good. So that way she could feel comfortable at her prom good and then it comes to christina telling her mom she's going to change her name so she tells her mom she's going to change her name to christina legally tomorrow her mom said fine and she comes back with papers and she's like your name is really christina why didn't you tell me so we could talk about a name she's like i did tell you
1: so does this mean her mom's being more supportive now I think so, from what I was gathering. She's starting to around and, like, feeling like it's not a phase. Like, this is my daughter.
0: Yeah. So, Christina ended up going to the Fashion Institute of Technology, and she meets someone there. They start dating. They are somewhat serious, you know, on again, off again. She talks about wanting to get a vagina and how, if she had her surgery, she'd live life to the
1: fullest.
0: Vaginas are
1: not great to have, just to be honest. Like... No. They're messy. Yeah. But I really hope she gets one. How much does one cost? Does she say how much money she has to save up? No. I wonder. I'm curious. I'm going to Google that while you tell me more of this story. Okay. How much is a vagina? I'm not really going to Google it like that because <laughs> that would probably return some weird shit. Her mom says that she couldn't ever yell at Christina
0: the way that she could yell <laughs> at Jonathan or Alvin because Christina was more sensitive. And this was even before she started taking testosterone. She would always tell jonathan jonathan do you think that matthew that was christina's name is gay also so her mom just like wasn't sure she still Mm -hmm. wasn't sure so then jonathan officially comes out but that's christina's older brother Mm -hmm. but she said that um it was harder than christina's but jonathan's situation helped with christina being who she was
1: i bet it did i bet it did seeing somebody manage the unknown and people's reactions to them and how to take it all in stride. I bet that was helpful.
0: Yeah, and then once Jonathan got a little older and was more comfortable, he started going to the gym. He's a bodybuilder, and apparently his mom says he looks very, very good looking. Christina's mom says, "Um, don't be like I was with Jonathan. Don't say horrible things to your child. That will haunt you until the day you die. Hug your children. Hug them. And then she said, I learned through Christina I don't need to read a book or call anyone for information. I listened to my daughter and I learned by letting her be.
1: Well, I feel like this one has a happy story too. And I I am glad that she said that being mean to her children is gonna haunt her for the rest of her life. Because it should and it's gonna haunt them too.
0: Yeah, like it should.
1: Also it says male to female bottom surgery costs around $25,000. Oh my gosh. And I feel like we can assume that you have to pay for everything and insurance is not going to cover a single cent of this.
0: No. Okay, so now here's Mariah. We have Mariah. no Mariah. We have no pictures of Mariah. Mariah was also born a boy, but she's always felt like a little girl. So okay. th- what I'm gathering from this is that like literally we are born this way. Yeah. So, trying to ignore the fact that, like, kids don't have these feelings. Anyway. That doesn't make um, any
1: sense, and it's not helping anybody.
0: No. So, Christina lived with her mom and her grandma. She didn't know her father. Her mom died when she was 10. But she says that she wasn't raised by them. Placement raised her because she's been in the system her entire life. Well, that makes me extra sad. Yeah. When she was little, her grandma just let her wear whatever she wanted because – their kids. And the first um, incident that she remembers having with someone on the street was like, why are you wearing a dress? And she's like, because I want to. And he's like, well, you have a dick. And she's like, what's a dick? <laughs> and he's like, boys have dicks and girls have the P word. She's like, well, what's a P word? And he's like, a vagina. And she's like, vagina.
1: I would just like to say that um, regardless of if you have a vagina or a dick, I think a dress could be comfortable for all people because it gets sweaty out there in them streets. Okay, yeah. in a nice breeze. Anyone can appreciate that. Yeah.
0: So um, her neighbors would cuss out her grandma saying, you're raising a fucking boy, but she still liked to play with Barbie dolls. And then when she went to school, she still wore girl clothes because she wanted to wear girl clothes. And How then... do the neighbors
1: care, by the I way? How is what this child is doing on its own property bothering them? If you don't like the way someone looks... The only thing that is in your power to do to deal with that is not look at them. You can't change someone by yelling at them. That's just going to make them want to do it more, by the way, because fuck you. Right? Exactly. Sorry. Um,
0: (laughs) She's in school and she has this teacher that has a master's degree that taught for 20 years, works for the county. And her teacher, because she came in to dress like a girl, said, what's going on with you? you're a
1: guy. Are your parents abusing you? Are you being raped? Are you being molested? Oh my God. Of course. Of co- I, mean, I, I mean, I'm mean, i surprised we haven't heard this line of questioning sooner actually, because yeah. of course. So
0: the teacher then reported her to the Department of Social Services because <gasps> she wouldn't stop wearing girl clothes. And then her grandma was charged with abuse and neglect Fucking for how. letting oh her my wear gosh. girl clothes. Oh my and gosh. then she was, ended up placed in Child Protective Services. That's how she got
1: removed. This is how she got removed. That is an awful fucking story. And whoever called CPS, oh my God. I hope that they think about the shitty fucking thing that they did every single day until they die. Like, I hope they- live a miserable life what a shitty thing to do like that is none of your business like by all means if a child is being starved or like burned with cigarettes or like locked out of their house in the middle of the night like call cps but as long as they're fucking clothed not your problem not your business leave it alone like as long as they're not killing anybody's animals out there and as long as they're being fed like raising children is difficult and they all have their own unique situations going on. Okay? It's probably yeah. near business. Yeah.
0: She go, she's able to go back to her grandma. And her grandma's like, you have to wear boys' clothes to school, but you can wear a dress under it. So she'd wear boys' clothes, but then um, put dresses under it. Well, the teacher still couldn't believe it. So they sent her to a doctor. She got diagnosed with ADD. So she ended up getting on medication for that. And then her mom died two months before 9-11.
1: Oh, my gosh
0: yeah so she is dealing with that trauma and, and then now she's she,
1: probably on Adderall for ADD for no fucking reason yeah and uh, she's still wearing. Girl,
0: yeah she's still wearing girls clothes so um good for her good DS, for her yeah Department of S- Social Services took her away again and put her in a placement because they didn't think that her grandmother could take care of her
1: Okay, I rescind my former good for her. This is not good for her. This is
0: distinctly bad for her. Yeah.
1: This in is a placement, difficult time. Yeah, in
0: placement, she couldn't wear girls' clothes at all. She actually accepted being a boy. She played sports, felt normal. But she only has urges and wanted long hair and loved pretty dresses and loved skirts. She ended up going back to her grandma's at the age of 11. And she was like, I was a monster at the time. I was really frustrated, which, I mean, makes sense because you're being forced into this place to live. Mm-hmm. That you don't know, you are being forced to be somebody you're not.
1: Well, also, you have all this turmoil inside you because you want to be someone you're not, and you literally have no one to talk to. So, what are you going to do? You got to get that out somehow. Yeah. Sometimes that means you're going
0: to act bad. There was a point after 9 11 that she shoved her teacher down to the ground because she was just so frustrated. And she had to go to the hospital, and they diagnosed her with bipolar. Psychopath with narcissistic tendencies
1: or her mom just died, and she's grieving, and she's been taken away from her grandma, and she needs to talk to a therapist. my goodness
0: and then she was a sexually she was sexually abused when she was thirteen,
1: and made her made her perform oral on him. I knew that this was going to come up at some point, but I'm upset all the same
0: yeah, so Mariah turned fourteen she presented as male, but everything thought of her. everyone thought of her as a female. Uh, I guess she was quite chubby, so she had boobs, she was curvy, she was happy, she felt like a girl, she was the most popular girl on campus, she was able to do home visits, so she went home every weekend, so at this point, she's like back into a home. Mm-hmm. Um, then she found this guy that she really liked, and she tried to get into a physical relationship with him. And he was kind of a dick. He said, you know, I heard that you're really good at head. And she's like, I have to go to work. When I come back, I'll do it. And so she goes to him and he goes, I was just joking.
1: Wow. That's not very nice.
0: No. So then she comes out as bisexual because she wasn't sure how else that she felt.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and she was very violent. She broke a beer bottle over a kid's head. She had to go to juvie. Holy shit, that? why? Uh, because she broke a beer bottle over a kid's head. He why did she hit stitches. him with a beer bottle? What was he doing to her? Was he just a rando? She started, she stopped taking her medication and started having panic attacks. Mm. And she became very aggressive and severely depressed. And she was out of control again. She just said, I got into
1: a fight with some kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Progressed to beer bottle smashing against the face. Yeah, that happens.
0: There was a nurse at the hospital that she went to, or to the detention center that she went to, and her name was Karen. She had a big butt, and um, Karen with the big butt. Yeah, Mariah wanted her to be part of her life, so she would do things like curse at her, just like being out of control, just to try and get Karen's attention. So then she ended up getting sent to another placement center in Pennsylvania. There she worked with a the therapist, a good therapist, and told her that she wanted to be a girl. The therapist wanted her to write down everything she felt in a journal. So she wrote down all of her fantasies. Um, she says, I don't think the therapist wanted me to transition into a girl, but she wanted me to look inside myself more than the outside of myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then she was, learned that she was a transsexual um, then at 16, it was her first male-on-male experience. Um, mm. she started getting pu- pubes, and pubic hair, so she put nair on them to remove them. Ooh. At this point, she's think- thinking God doesn't like her because she's hitting puberty. God so- doesn't like
1: any of us then, my friend.
0: Yeah. Then that Is might she-
1: be true. We're kind of <laughs> shitty.
0: Yeah. She wanted she acted feminine because she wanted to be a girl. She couldn't picture herself as a guy. Mm -hmm. And she said a lot of people would call her a dyke because that's because she had feminine features but wore guy clothes. But she just wasn't ready to wear girls' clothes yet. But it's probably because of all the trauma that she went through.
1: Right, exactly. And like a lot of it was centered around the
0: clothes that she wore. Yeah. Um, so at this point, she is finally starting to come out. She is doing estrogen therapy Mm -hmm. she said a lot of older transgender people say it's inside beauty that counts and she agrees with that she says transition starts when you feel that you're a woman physically mentally and emotionally you fantasize about it you research it you start wearing women's clothes then you start looking into hormones so she's taking her transition step by step she's told her aunt her cousins a good neighbor her grandma knows she said her grandma prefers her being a guy but she can't change how she feels
1: Yeah.
0: She's been on hormones for seven months. And she's like, I think they make me hungrier. Otherwise, I haven't noticed a big change. And one thing that really caught my eye leaving this chapter was, I'm not at the end of my transition. I'm barely at the beginning.
1: It takes a long, long time. And you got to be really consistent with it. Like, you got to take those drugs. As prescribed, you can't let it lapse. That shit can happen. Yes. And so
0: Cameron, kind of the same situation as everyone else had a feeling when they were young that they just weren't who they were born. Um, Cameron doesn't even give you their real name because they felt, they feel like it's irrelevant. So Cameron uh, is gender neutral. So they like to use the pronouns, they them there to describe who they are. And we kind of pick up uh, with Cameron going to prom and just getting ready for prom. So Cameron is still in, high school. They said that they grew up in a rich white part of New York and it was just uncomfortable. Both of Cameron's parents majored in theater in college. His mom, Cameron's mom was studying to be an actress. And sometimes I'll say he, and it's because in this book, it also describes Cameron as he. So
1: every once in a while it switches up. Maybe, maybe while they were doing the um, interviews and stuff for this were presenting more masculine yeah yeah. I I feel like when you're non-binary sometimes you're a little more masculine you're a little more feminine but you you can switch in between right yeah you accept the good parts of both of them and probably the bad parts that's
0: what I think too
1: Cameron's mom like literally like Cameron
0: probably has the best story out of this his mom their mom is a social worker so she's uh Change. Understanding of trans people and everything, so
1: Cameron
0: yeah. kind of like grew up in that accepting household. Both parents work for nonprofits; they didn't have regular nine to five jobs, so they were able to learn be in a, a loving family, and they just really accept that gender is fluid Mm -hmm. and that you don't have to identify as trans, as girl, as boy. Um, Cameron wants to go to college so they can go to med school so they can help people do good stuff, just kind of like the other people that want to go to to med school so they
1: can help trans people. Yeah, and I love that. Just like I said in the last episode, I know that that community is underrepresented in the like healthcare industry, and and not just like they don't have a lot of doctors in that field. They also just can't find care yeah. from doctors who specialize in their specific needs because they're different than somebody who hasn't underwent things. Or if they Cameron's not undergoing things, you know. Also, in your brain, you've got different things, so you need people who can relate and understand and actually want to relate and understand in those places.
0: Yeah, and Cameron actually went through a bunch of phases. At first, they came out lesbian, and his parents were like, eh, okay, whatever. And then they were like, wait, I'm not lesbian. And that's when they tilted toward, like, maybe being uh, transsexual. But then they decided to be gender fluid, and they actually changed their name to Cameron because Cameron... Is actually can actually be a boy or girl name. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking
1: that's a really um, very gender-neutral name, right there. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know who we're talking about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And when Cameron first thought about being trans, their parents took them to the doctor to talk about like to get consulting and talk about hormones and things that Cameron would need to do to be to transition cameron's mom was really worried about name calling and cameron getting harassed and they were like it's okay i'm fine whatever happens i'll be okay they joined their gay straight alliance students like some schools have a gsa gay straight alliance like organization within the school they were able to form that group and they were able to it's, I'm really sorry. It's really hard for me to say they and them when I'm t- referring to one person. And I feel like that is probably what is going to hold a lot of people back because growing up learning English, we are taught that they, them, and there is plural. But then you go back to think about the English language and like literally everything
1: is made up. Everything is made up. And if like one of the points that I love on TikTok videos, I see a lot is that people, if you're telling a story and you just completely leave the other person out, you will just say they, their, stuff like that. Yeah. Or if you're trying to like, if you're like a single person and you're trying to lie to your like new little girl or whatever, about who you were out with, you say they, their, instead of she. So it is interesting though. It is I do think a lot of people struggle to wrap their heads around that. Yeah. And maybe it is something that's intentionally drilled into us in school. Yeah. That they always refers to a she or he. And maybe that's something that's like societal. What, what is systemic, you know? Yeah. Uh, well,
0: when they started the GSA, they introduced themselves to Cameron and said, I'm a boy, I'm a transgender, and he asked the teachers to call him him. hmm Uh, again, I'm really sorry that I keep saying he and him. I am so sorry. The teachers did not – or there was one teacher specifically that – or two that had issues with it and did not call Cameron he. They would call Cameron she. And a social worker had to get involved to talk to the teachers. Cameron started taking hormones or testosterone at 16 – and that means that their periods stopped, the fo- vo- their voice started dropping, and they liked it, and they Take decided time. at like 16 that they're going to start working out. It was at that point that people started perceiving them as male, and so Cameron was able to get some male privileges, which meant that they didn't have to prove themselves for an opinion to have weight. And that quote just kind of resonated with me when, when people think that male privilege or white male privilege doesn't exist
1: because this is so true. I was literally just talking to Matt about this. Like he was, something was going on. I can't remember who he was even talking to. It was probably something with work, but he had to like really explain himself at length multiple times to this person for them to finally believe him that like this part that he ordered wasn't going to be where they thought it was going to be and it was because the person they thought they ordered it through just didn't fucking order it something dumb like that anyways I was just like that's what it's like to just be a woman just so you know (laughs) just that's every single day
0: (laughs) that's so funny um actually this entire paragraph on male privilege is just like there's, like, five paragraphs in this section, and it's actually really good. Like, it really describes male privilege. I'm just going to read some of it. Um, yeah, laid
1: on me. I love that shit.
0: Yeah. People assume that I'm intelligent. People assume that I have something to say. I get a fair amount of respect. By being male, I've automatically given some kind of validity that is weird. Wait, guys, I haven't said anything yet. And besides, you shouldn't be giving me male privilege because I'm not really a guy, at least not by your standards. By your standards, I'm definitely not. People don't see me as a person they can talk down to. A stranger won't call me sweetheart. The only person who can call me sweetheart is my grandma. I like to think I can fend off society's male expectations pretty well. Society wants all kinds of things from the boys. They want us to be masculine and to wrestle, to swear, and to be aggressive and assertive. To some degree, society wants us to be misogynistic, but I've never really gone along with what people say I should do, in case you didn't notice. I do more things to actively not fit male expectations than I do to fit expectations. So that just kind of shows they're coming to the sense that maybe they aren't wanting to be identified as male.
1: Yeah, because what a shitty thing to be identified as. (laughs) I love that quote that society wants us to be misogynistic. They do. Um, They do. A lot of things in society profit off misogyny. Almost all of society. Yeah. They have a brother. And
0: he says, I first came out to my brother back at hippie camp, which happened right before nerd camp.
1: <laughs> What's nerd camp?
0: I don't know, but at hippie camp, everyone was different and way more awesome than they are in the real world. Uh, that. Their brother was really cool when they came out, but when the brother got back to the real world, it was time for middle school, and Cameron says his brother stopped being cool about it. No. He would use the pronouns as a weapon whenever he was mad. <sighs> he would call Cameron she, and whenever he wasn't mad, he'd call Cameron he. And when he was pissed, he would say that thing. Mm.
1: That's just...
0: Yeah. Cameron says that they think it's just because of sibling rivalry and just being immature.
1: I feel like you can really say a lot meaner things to your siblings sometimes than you would to a other person. Yeah.
0: You know, they're just, like, right fucking there.
1: Yeah. fucking there all the time.
0: Yeah. And Cameron says, because they're still in school, they're still living together, that when they don't have to see each other every day and share a bathroom and have to be, have to see, Cameron says, when I don't have to see him be a slob every day, then they'll (laughs) probably
1: get closer, which I believe is true. I feel like once you move out of your parents' house, you just. That's exactly what I was just thinking, like. After being confined in a prison together for, like, 18, 20 years, like, yeah, you start to understand why riots break out. Mm -hmm. They do sometimes break out, let's be real, in just a regular nuclear family.
0: They really do. They really do.
1: (laughs) Those sibling battles, sometimes they get crazy. (laughs) For Cameron being so young,
0: their perspective on life is very mature. Yeah, Yeah. very mature. So this is the last paragraph or his second to last paragraph in his story before I move on. Stand together – They say, what's interesting is that straight, non-trans population seems to think that trans people automatically have allies in gay people, and that gay people automatically have allies in the trans community, and they do not, with a capital N. We need to stand together to fight the system. If trans people stand alone, we have no chance. No chance at all. I think all people who are oppressed in one way or another should stand together. Women, queer people, people of color, disabled people, whatever. All the special interest groups, minority groups, have a better chance of affecting change if we stick together. We definitely shouldn't hate each other. That's a stupid thing. His life goal, their life goal is to be part of a revolution. They say it's on their bucket list. They say, I don't have a bucket list, but if I did, revolution would be on it high up. Definitely high up. Better start one. I know. Sounds like uh, an important one. I know. I know. They want to be a doctor. We already mentioned that. Um, They say they will find a queer organization and work with queer kids and prescribe hormones to trans kids. It's going to be cool. They end the chapter saying life's an adventure. It really is an adventure.
1: Well, that's a good story. And I mean, I feel like it's easy to be worldly. I mean, it's not easy to be worldly. I feel like you probably become worldly when you are different than people because... Gosh dang it, you just probably get the ugliest of a lot of people. Because confused people are just dicks. Yes. You know? But good for Cameron.
0: Yeah. And then Nat considers themselves something else. They are considered intersect. So her birth certificate says female. They say, I look female, but when I was born, I thought you follow whatever's on a birth certificate, but maybe that always isn't true. They, in middle school, they would call her a freak. Kids are assholes, so she always thought she was a freak. She was taller, broader. She looked like a girl, but not exactly like a girl. She acted like a boy, but also wasn't a boy. Everyone assumed that she was either gay or lesbian. Their pronouns are they and them. That's what she prefers to be called. They never wanted to be a pretty girl and or even a pretty girl with a touch of boy. She just thought they just thought of themselves as a kid. They speak
1: English and Spanish. I'm so jealous of all people who are bilingual, trilingual, quadlingual.
0: Their parents fought a lot. So you can kind of tell that they grew up in a terrible house. Their parents said that Nat didn't speak until she was until they were seven. And I'm assuming it's because of the fighting. There was nobody there worth talking to. Yeah, but they say that they probably didn't talk because of the two languages and how it confused them. Because in school, everyone spoke English, but at home, they would speak Spanish, and they only spoke English a little bit to help the dad. They had short hair. The mom liked to dress them in shirts and pants. They liked the neutral look. Their parents bought, brought them Barbies and the brother action figures. They liked – they, as in Nat, liked both of the Barbies and the action figures. One side wanted Barbies, but the other side wanted action figures. Mm-hmm. Um, but she wasn't – they weren't able to play with action figures, so they took the heads off the Barbie dolls.
1: Well, fuck it all then. Burn it down. Shit.
0: Yeah, they say that they never felt comfortable talking with their parents about everyth- anything and that they would only say hi and I love you to their-, their mom because that's what they would expect.
1: It makes me sad, but if that's going to keep you safe, that's what you have to do.
0: Yep. Go and along be-
1: with it until you can get out and do your own thing.
0: Yep, and because they didn't talk, they went to special ed. Did it help? Not really because they – she, they had problems connecting with people, and they mm-hmm. couldn't express how they felt. They also didn't like going to the bathrooms at school because they weren't the cleanest, and they assumed that you can go into any bathroom, but the teacher would always tell them that they had to go to the girls' bathroom, and if they went to the boys' bathroom, the teacher would pull them out. This
1: is something I think about a lot, the bathroom thing that has to be just so anxiety just ridden. Yeah, and because of this, they developed
0: a urinary problem because sometimes they would hold the whatever they had to do all day until they got home.
1: I hate that. I've had a bad UTI before. You don't – uh, not fun.
0: No, and that shit can go in your kidneys and you can die.
1: Yeah, you can get really messed up.
0: By the time they were in third grade, they were finally put into a regular classroom. They went to Catholic school, so they weren't taught about sex and – human anatomy of course uh (laughs) when they were 12 their mom had the sex talk with them and they were like what is that what's the point of this why is everyone so obsessed with this they didn't want to talk to their friends about it because they thought it was nothing too big to talk about and they didn't think they thought their friends were going to be tattletales
1: i would think that too and you know what kids often do tattle okay? Yeah. They're not good at keeping secrets. They're just, they want to tell, they want people to listen to them, so they're going to be like, what interesting tidbits do I have in this little noggin of mine that Chef, I can get people to listen to me? I still tattle, but I tattle on people at work because if <laughs> you fuck up, I'm going to
0: voice my opinion and tell the managers because I don't want to work with you anymore.
1: Fuck up. I feel like at <laughs> that place you got to. Otherwise, you're going to have to do what they didn't do right. Exactly. They started getting into middle school. All of the girls were dressing girly.
0: They didn't feel comfortable in that. And then their friends would make fun of them because they were just wanting to not dress
1: in skirts and dresses. Pants, man, are fine. How old is this person now? What Uh year was it that they were going to school? That's the one thing I don't like about this is the book doesn't have years. Okay. Okay. Well, it bothers me that there was ever a thing that women, like, female people, had to wear skirts anyways. Like, why controlling what people wear is such a, yeah, yeah, we're free, but you have to wear a skirt to school at our free school. Right. Freedom. what was in 1984 freedom is slavery sometimes I feel like
0: that's some slogan of some politicians today
1: I swear I bring up 1984 every single day (laughs) yeah I read it Ah! Aaron Rodgers actually put it on his book list last week and said we need to stop making this a reality and that makes me laugh because like okay anti-vaxxer but whatever Anti-vaxer, and he is
0: like pro-authoritarianism, pro-dictatorship, like yeah.
1: Which parts of the book are are you? Who are you saying is like the party in this situation? Is it Democrats? I don't know. Yeah. I would like to ask him.
0: Middle school. Nat and her brother shared a room, or Nat and their brother shared a room. The dad said that they need privacy, so. They ended up getting their own room. She went to LaGuardia High School. It's famous for music and art. So they are into music. They yeah. were an orchestra, the second best orchestra in the school, which is Orchestra Seven. The music kept her kept their mind busy and not think about like what is going on with their body. Better and than getting
1: addicted to something though.
0: Exactly. Exactly. They took special health classes in high school because it's not a Catholic school, so they're actually able to learn. Nice. Yeah. They said that their period came once when they were 17, and they couldn't lose weight, and they were worried, so their mom took them to a doctor, and they said, oh, you have PCOS. Yeah, polycystic <gasps> ovary ovary syndrome. Oh no, oh no. Which means during the development in the womb, it wasn't clear whether they wanted testes or ovaries. At least that's how they understood it.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: Yeah, so their body was making more testosterone than estrogen. They assumed they wanted to be a girl, so the doctor started giving her medication, so estrogen, to bring down the testosterone and boost up the estrogen. Mm-hmm. But Nat didn't want it. They didn't know what they wanted, but that was definitely not it. Uh, so when the doctors confirmed that they were intersect, intersex, and they thought, wow, I'm that whole other gender. So it kind of...
1: Probably solidified the feeling of being different than everyone that they were feeling at the beginning of the story.
0: What the doctors were describing met her emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually as both sexes. Mm-hmm. And now they are physically both sexes, too. Her, their mom was in denial and kept asking why I don't have a boyfriend. And that's because she didn't want one. Or they didn't want one. Then in high school, they joined GSA. They started seeing a social worker their sophomore year to just talk about how they felt the social worker would listen, but they felt like it was too hard for them to understand because they think that they're a third gender, which makes perfect sense to them, but it doesn't make sense to other people.
1: At this because point, people cannot really. <laughs> grasp concepts you know and I blame public school for making us not like learning so we just reject anything that does not fit into what we knew in the first few years of our lives
0: by high school they were always depressed their brother and them weren't communicating he was always home they were always home but they stayed in separate rooms their brother was fighting with their parents all the time because he had anger issues and one of her their brother's therapist called child services and they would come to the house every few weeks to make sure that they were eating well you know what child services does put their nose yeah. somewhere where it probably doesn't belong
1: yeah just stress everybody the fuck out and then actually do nothing
0: yeah according to a social worker nat was suffering from em- emotional neglect neglect and their brother was suffering from educational neglect Interesting. So they
1: thought her brother was a little slow.
0: They attempted suicide twice because of the depression and the things that they were going through. I'm not even going to describe the scene that they described. The second time, they actually gave hints to the social worker that that was going to happen. And so the social worker called their parents. There was a call Uh that Nat got that stopped them from attempting suicide
1: I feel like I hear that story a lot like somebody randomly calls takes your mind off of it for 20 minutes and you're like out of that frenzied panicked feeling like there's no way out state of mind and you can come back down for a little while
0: yeah they ended up the social worker ended up putting Nat into the hospital for a couple days I'm pretty sure it's probably like the 72 hour hold Mm -hmm. And Nat said that that was one of the best times of their life. While they were still depressed and had to be on medication, they were away from their parents. They were away from everyone. They wore hospital clothes so no one could really tell what sex they were. The doctor did a physical examination and said that they had an abnormality on their genitalia because they had taken drugs or steroids. And Nat said, I don't do drugs. Uh, You gave me a tox screen. I don't do drugs or drink alcohol. And they just... ...ignored them, and they said- Nat said that they have severe depression. The doctor said at one point that Nat had schizo- schizozoid, personality disorder? But <laughs> none of the doctors were agreeing.
1: So they just don't want to, like, listen to what they're actually saying. Yeah. This is why more trans people and everyone who identifies as every single gender or whatever needs to be and they need they need representation in the medical community because like these people were just actively not understanding and refusing to consider this and I hope that they didn't continue throughout their entire career doing that shit I hope that Nat like was on their brain and they went and did some research and treated other people that they came across like Nat accordingly you know but yeah, do I think that happened? No so Nat
0: ended up going back to the hospital a few months later because of dep- they found a deeper depression. They mm-hmm. were finally diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which is how they diagnose transgender people. Mm-hmm. Continue to research the term intersex and the limited access they had to the, at the hospital library and that's when they learned about hormone therapy. Natalie considers herself genderqueer intersect, and they thought hormones would get them closer to their ideal self. They say that they were just so confused because people saw them as female, but it was because they had breasts, but her voice was And her voice wasn't masculine enough. They wanted people to accept them as them. And so they started hormone therapy. So before... Okay, testosterone. And before they could get testosterone, they had to go to therapy to talk about it and explain everything. Yeah. So
1: they've got a treatment plan that they're hoping will work for them going forward? Yep. And they got into
0: CUNY, which is a college in New York. It's in Queens. They actually talk to their mom a little bit. They still keep them at arm's length. They don't talk to their father or their brother because of the abusiveness.
1: Fuck them. I hate an abuser. Just to let those fuckers rot.
0: And this is the end of their chapter. It says, things are sort of going my way. I have my own place. I have a job. I'm taking hormone therapy. And I'm not and I'm going to a support group at a clinic called Mindfulness. I think it's going to help get rid of negative thinking. I only went to one meeting so far and tomorrow is the second. It doesn't hurt to try something new.
1: Well, good. I'm glad that we're ending that book on a positive note. I feel like all of the stories kind of ended on a positive note and I'm glad that all of those people in the book and everyone who is getting to like live their authentic lives is doing that. Fuck yeah.
0: Me too. So something I'm taking away is that you're literally, like Lady Gaga says, you're literally born this way. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Also, people know at such a young age and that we shouldn't be such judgmental assholes. Fucking hell. Why are kids the worst? Ugh. Like, if someone tells me they're transgender, it doesn't it doesn't affect me. I yeah. don't pay more in taxes. I don't make less money. Like, Saying okay. they
1: instead of she or her will not fucking end your life. Exactly. Your brain will not explode. It may take a little bit, as we (laughs) saw today, but you're going to get there and it's going to be fine. So why did you think this, or what in the book do you think could have actually been used as evidence to ban it? I I think
0: probably the talk of suicide, and maybe people might interpret it as child abuse or the LGBTQ messaging. Inclusion of offensive language, homosexuality, and sex education. (laughs)
1: offensive language i just can't believe homosexuality homosexuality. yeah like that's legitimately like you're using your religious biases to ban things in a public school that is funded by a government i'm assuming it was a school that it was banned at but when you take book bans to public schools it's a public school that is funded by the government the federal government on some level yeah oh here's a thing about from alt-right book describes six-year-old sex
0: act um it wasn't a six-year-old sex act the six-year-old was sexually molested (gasps) but you know what go off
1: yeah don't don't prepare your six-year-old um for what they should look out for that will make them safer this is not geared towards the, the level of comprehension in reading needs to be higher than six years of life just based upon the pages that i've scanned of this book
0: Yeah. Also, like, it was kind of hard for me to read, too. So, you know what? I can tell you probably no middle schooler, six-year-old,
1: like, no one is reading it. Yeah. This is probably something that you would say to your high school class they could do as extra credit. Not these people. Not if you're homophobic, though. No. Which we all know... I think if you're homophobic, that means you're probably gay, are so jealous of these people living their lives because you can't because you're scared. That's what I think. Yeah. Okay, well, that was a good book. That was a fun uh, week that we did, reading our own books and then presenting them. But on our next episode, a short one, so we're going to be able to read it all in the next two weeks before the next episode airs, In the Shadow of the Red Brick Building by Raymond Tony Charlie. Do you want me to read the synopsis on the back real quick? Yes. From his opening invitation to take a walk with me or have a seat next to me, Raymond Tony Charlie's gentle way with words stirs something in the reader. We feel welcomed into the difficult story of a stranger who quickly becomes a cherished friend. The storyline charts Elder Charlie's experience at two different residential schools in British Columbia, Canada, neither of which can be considered educational institutions. Told pragmatically and with great care for the reader, Elder Charlie's style of writing is like the ebb and flow rhythm of the Salish Sea itself. His words move us forward through time from his youth to present day, pausing for self-reflection on what he learned during his healing journey. It is his unwavering commitment to healing and his conviction that healing is the core of reconciliation that enabled him to overcome unthinkable and inhumane acts of malice and racism by those who were supposed to be his teachers and caregivers. I'm really nervous about this one
0: me too so we're going to be reading another hard book but we promise the last two books that we're going to read of the year will
1: be uplifting (laughs) yes they will be so fun because we're going to need them too yeah so okay uh on the next episode in the shadow of the red brick building i'm excited and nervous that's going to be a tough app but me too we need to do this learning we need to know these things and we'll be better for it at the end
0: yes we will